Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where super modifieds are king, methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Tom Baker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Inside Groove Super Modified Podcast. My name is Tom Baker. This is episode 136, and I'm excited about this show for two reasons, and they are Davey Hamilton Jr. and Dave Danzer. Both are going to be joining us on this program. Davey's going to be first. He is going to talk about the Open Wheel Showdown that is happening the weekend after Thanksgiving in Las Vegas at the Bullring. Davey is the promoter of this. Now, any of you who have listened to this show, uh, who have ever tried to promote a race, will understand when I say that I am really super impressed right now with what Davey's already done. Now, you know, we'll see how it all comes out, right? Um, But... Davey did not decide to take a series, go to a track, and promote a race. Davey has stepped up. He is promoting the largest winner's payout for the asphalt sprint cars that's ever been offered. He's added the midgets, he's added the super modifieds, and he's doing it at a really, really interesting facility. And he's doing it the what basically is about what two weeks or so after the um, F1 race there. I hope that uh, all the traffic in Vegas is back to normal. Um, But, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that works out. But um, this is really going to be an exciting show that he's putting on. And so I'm, I'm happy to bring this to you. And thanks to Davey Jr. for taking some time to do it with us. Uh, You're going to be fascinated, I think, by what he has to say. And then Dave Danzer will come on and he'll talk about being the only driver from the East Coast who has actually said, hey, I want to be a part of this and is going to put his car in the trailer and take it out there and try to win it for the East. So we have sort of an East-West showdown and (laughs) it's David versus Goliath. There, um, I got that one in um, because it's everybody against Dave Danzer. Um, and I think you're going to be fascinated by some of the reaction that Dave's gotten about this. He'll talk about that and a lot more. This was a real I, five-star interview. It has nothing to do with me. I mean, the guests make it. it you know, it's. It, I've had people tell me, you're a great interviewer. Well, Okay, I understand the techniques of doing a good interview. I've studied it and and I've learned it. I don't, you know, I don't think I'm any better than anyone else. But um, I appreciate the compliments. But the reality is, if a guest takes an interview to another level, if they if they are open and really fascinating and have ideas, opinions, aren't afraid to share, and you know, have a great story, Dave Danzer had all of that. Ninety minutes. So. Um, almost 90 minutes. So, so get ready for that and make sure that you've, uh, you might have to hit pause before that one comes up 
and you know go take care of whatever you need to and grab your favorite beverage and then sit down and hit hit play um so that's what's on this show and then of course we'll come back and i'll have some closing thoughts as well and i can tell you that our next show we've already got another guest lined up uh to continue our pre-showdown coverage mark pasquale is going to join us on the next groove and mark is one of the uh directors or um you know, heads of the Speed Tour, which is the group that puts on all the West Coast shows. So I'm excited to talk to Mark and get some insight into what's happening out there. And um, I mean, it has been a real uh, rock and roll revival out there. And the car count that is expected for the showdown, I'm going to let Davey tell you what it is. But my gosh, I mean, this could approach the second largest car count for a super modified race behind the Oswego Classic this year. If it it happens, um, it could approach that number. It's it's incredible what's going on out there. And I love how they're doing it. And um, we'll, we'll talk about that uh, later in the show as well and look forward to having Mark on next on the next show. So I'm going to try to do as much as we can to sort of get the West Coast going. And um, when we come back at the end of the show, in our last segment, I'll tell you about another interview that I had the chance to do over the week and how that's going to, that interview is going to become its own mini series. And I'll tell you why and who it was with at the end of the show. So um, we are going to step aside when we come back, Davey Hamilton Jr. will start us all off here uh, on the Inside Groove. Stay with us. Hey there, barbecue enthusiasts. Are you tired of boring sauces that leave your taste buds snoozing? We've got something that'll make your mouth water and your ribs shout for joy. It's called Wiggity Wayne Sauces. Wiggity Wayne Sauces brings you a complete line of barbecue sauces, ketchups, and rubs with flavors from mild to wild. We've got everything you need to take your grill game to the next level. Picture this, a juicy, succulent burger slathered in our mouth-watering habanero ketchup, giving it just the right amount of kick. Or how about some lip-smacking, kicking hickory sauce that'll transport your taste buds straight to Flavortown. But wait, there's more. We've got apple pie moonshine sauce that'll have you thinking grandma's cooking up dessert on the grill. And for those who like it bold, Carolina Bold Sauce will have you shouting yeehaw with every bite. Hold on to your spatulas, folks. There's an exclusive offer just for you. Visit wiggitywaynesauces.com today and get a mouthwatering 20% off your first order. That's right. You get 20% off. So don't sleep on this deal, folks. Head on over to wiggitywaynesauces.com and let your taste buds go crazy with our amazing flavors. Your grill and your belly will thank you. Welcome back to the show, and it is time for our 
one of our special guests of the week. We have Davey Hamilton Jr. with us here on The Groove. And, uh, Davey, great to have you back on the show. It has been a long time, and I'm excited to talk about the Open Wheel Showdown that's coming up in December, and I'm even more excited because we just found out that one of our guys from the East Coast, Dave Danzer, is going to come out and take on the best of the West, which makes this sort of an East-West showdown now, which is pretty darn exciting in the Super Modified class. We'll get to that, but I want first talk about the genesis of this show. How was it created? Because I, I know you were basically one of the ones, or maybe the one, who actually um, put this together, right? Yeah, I'm I'm the only one. Um, oh boy! You know, yeah, it's be a couple of years a couple of years ago. It was just an idea, and you know, I always was I was watching old videos of the Cop World Classic, and you know, when I was younger, I always wanted to race Turkey Night at Irwindale in a Focus Midget, and you know, as I grew up, those those Crown Jewel events that had multiple open wheel classes kind of just fell off the the earth, really, and just yeah. and, you know. Um, so it just became like there's a, a special event for non-wing sprint cars, there's a special event for wing sprint cars, but they're all separated. So I uh, I wanted to put together something. I mean, this was in the works years ago, and I uh, last year, you know, really fought hard to get on my feet and in, in a positive direction and. Um, got got all the right people together and and uh, we all started to to talk about this idea and uh, fortunately for me I had some great partners that were like let's do it and it's just grown every day it's getting bigger and bigger every day and we're just a few weeks away now it's amazing and I can't wait to see how this works out talk a little bit about the specifics what is it yeah. who's what's racing there tell us about uh, the details of what's going on yeah, so not only did I want to put together an event that had super modifieds, wing sprint cars, and midgets all competing at the same facility, I wanted to go big. So I made the sprint car portion a $50,000 to win race. And wow. that has never been done. That's the highest paying sprint car race ever for pavement. And it's over $150,000 in purse alone, just for that, that class. And, you know, try to do a little bit better you know for the midgets you know the midgets don't race for high purses anymore really so try to do something a little special there and then the supers honestly it really wasn't supposed to be in year one it was an idea um mark Pasquale and the speed tour uh super modified portion actually reached out to me and they're like hey how do we get involved with your event we talked about it discussed it and you know we, we put it all together but um the end goal is for year two, year three, is for the supers to be competing for a really good purse as well. Um, but for year one, it was kind of last second. But they're a great addition. It makes sense for them to be a part of it, right? So um, now we have over 120-plus teams total that will be at the facility and um, all open-wheel cars, and um, it's, it's exciting. It's going to be really cool to see. You know, I got celebrities come in. I got NASCAR stars come in. Um, IndyCar stars come in, you know, the Lion Dykes family, Jesse Love, you know, he just signed with Richard Childress. Sure did. Um, so there's some, there's some exciting names that are competing in this event and it's, uh, it is the talk of town right now. For sure. I bet it is. And for, yeah. you mentioned Jesse Love, just for this audience, um, Jesse 
grew up racing Focus Midgets and uh, ha- is the youngest driver in history to win a full-size midget race. He won it, won at 13. He's still winning in uh, on the dirt in different kinds of cars. So um, yep. Davey mentioning Jesse, it's not so much about Jesse's NASCAR stock car portion is the fact that he's one of the best open wheel racers in the country right now, even at uh, his young age. So uh, yeah. now, okay, so um, talk about the Super Modifieds a little bit more because um, this is the West Coast Super Modified scene has suddenly been revived over the last year or so and is really starting to pick up some steam again with a speed tour and 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 uh, 14, 15, 16 cars a race. What are we looking at here for the Super Modifieds for this showdown? Yeah, so, you know, Originally, we were thinking maybe 20 cars were going to show up from the West Coast. And, um, well, the event alone, just the Opal Showdown and the, the uh, dynamic that we're already growing this thing into, yeah. it blew up the super modified world. And now there's people that want to get involved with owning a team and there's people wanting to oh, buy wow. cars. And, yeah, there's people building cars right now, you know. So, wow. But last I heard, there's, there's going to be 24 to 26 supers on the West Coast at the Opal Showdown. And, um, when was the last time you've seen that type of field for West Coast Supers? And it's it's not even the purse that's drawing attention from the East Coast guys. The East Coast guys just want to go and be a part of an event of racing in Vegas and being involved with the best open-wheel drivers in the country. So who knows, maybe next year it turns into a, an East Coast-West Coast battle of Supers. Um, <laughs> and we do, do the it. purse a little bit better to attract those, more of those guys. But um it's great. Mark, you know, he's done a great job of, of organizing the Super Modified. He has a huge passion for Supers. And, you know, I, I'm a small portion of this thing, but he, uh, uh, for the Super portion anyways, and, you know, the Supers, uh, you know, they have him to thank. Mark is the guy for, for reviving the Supers for sure. Okay, so I, I've got to ask this. What are you going to be racing? Because, and I want to talk, want you to talk about your season in general, because boy, there was, um, there was a point where it felt like you won like 48 races in a row. Like you turned into an asphalt Kyle Larson, dude. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I've had offers to drive the Super. I've had offers to drive a Midget. I am, uh, I'm fully focused on just racing the, my sprint car for that race. Okay. Um, and you know, just maybe next year um, we'll see what happens. But but for this year, I just want to stay focused on the sprint car. You know, I've been doing like you said, I've been doing really good in that this year. And um, you know, even my season, I had my first USAC Silver Crown win, which I dreamed about yeah, for years. Awesome. And just and it, it was crazy. It was a good, a great feeling and a dream come true to do it in front of all my IndyCar family. And uh, you know, that was just a perfect place to have your first win. So. That went good and, you know, started the midget team that I drive for with the, the Western Speed Racing Group and, and Kevin Gerhardt, you know, they they kind of struggled at, at Indianapolis Raceway Park and um, we started to get that car figured out. We uh, led some laps this last race. Unfortunately, the car handling went away uh, during a red flag, but just knowing that we're competitive again and that car had some speed was, uh, was a good sign to see what could come next year. 
for sure. Um, now, what is next year going to look like for you? Because we're almost to the end of this year. I mean, I know there was a time, obviously, you wanted to, to um, you know, go as far as you could go in the sport. You were driving just about everything you could get your hands on. It seems like now you've kind of scaled that back just a little bit, like you said, focusing on one or two cars. But um, what is 2024 going to look like for Davey Jr.? Yeah, you know, obviously my goal is to get to, to the higher ranks. My passion is always going to be Indy. And I'd love to see me back in an Indy next car and, um, you know, or, you know, even go the NASCAR route. That's not really my passion, but if there was an opportunity there, I would, I would definitely take it. The, uh, the problem is that after I announced this Vegas race, it's turned a, turned my life into a 24 hour job, <laughs> which isn't, which <laughs> yes. isn't a bad thing, yes. but, uh, the, the success of this event means so much to me. And, you know, I think even with my partners, if I, if I prove that this event is a great success, you know, who knows, maybe there's more opportunities for me to race better things next year. Um, but right now I honestly don't know what my, my season looks like next year. I have an idea. Um, I can't, I don't want to say anything yet, but you know, at, at the end of the day, it's not going to be anything like NASCAR or, or Indy next related, but you know, that's, that's what I'm working towards. You know, okay. um, I, I want to see myself at least on the ovals for Indy next. And, um, We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. It's just first I got to get through at least until December 3rd, then maybe take a day vacation one day and then uh, take off the fourth. <laughs> yeah, I'll take off a day and then we'll head to the PRI show and and see what uh, gets announced out there. Well, I'm uh, I, I would look forward to seeing you at PRI. Uh, so let's try our best to, to hook up there. Um, and so talk a little bit about if I'm a fan on the East Coast, I'm not able to get to Vegas. How do I watch this thing? Yeah, so we have partnered with Speed Sport and Ralph Shaheen. Um, as soon as this was announced, Ralph called me immediately, and he's like, "I want to be involved. I I loved watching the Copper Classic, and you know he." Uh, He's been a super big believer in this event. So we uh, we are going to be broadcasted live on speedsport1.com. Okay. So speedsport1.com. Um, they are advertising everything through that. They have a lot of uh, networks that they work with that's yes. underneath the Speedsport yep. banner. Um, so it would actually be broadcasted on multiple different streaming platforms. But Speedsport1 is the, is the main main place to go to. Awesome. Okay, so we know that uh, we're going to be able to watch all of it. Now, if we're yep. going there, uh, what information do we need to know about in terms of do you have host hotels or what can you tell us about if we're coming to the event? Um, what do we need to know? Yeah, so uh, crazy thing is, is actually I didn't expect this, but um, I partnered with South Point uh, Hotel Casino. You know, they have a good relationship with racing and they uh we sold out of every room block that we had for our I don't our doubt it. <laughs> and that is over I think a thousand rooms total or wow. way more than that. So it's it's pretty impressive. Um so I would say number one as a fan, find a hotel <laughs> anywhere you can. Good luck, um, right? Number, You're on yeah, your own now. <laughs> exactly, right? Number two is uh we are advertising, you know, it's beneficial to purchase a pit pass at the event. Um, which you could just buy when you when you show up, right? Um, because that will get you access to the grandstands. That will get you access to the entire property. Oh, nice! So, yeah, you don't have to worry go buy, uh, worry about going and buying a special grandstand ticket. You, when you buy a pit pass, it gets you everywhere. So that's and then you can meet the drivers and get autographs and 
you know, interact with your, your favorites and stuff like that. So it's definitely the, the way to go. Sounds like uh, it's going to be a really, really fun event, and um, you know you're off to a great start with regard to uh, car counts and participation and all of that. And and this is something that I could easily see blowing up much, much bigger after this first year if this year goes well. So uh, I love that you've put the work into this, and I'm sure you found because uh, all of us when we start trying to promote race get a real education about how difficult it really is because of all the little things that the people sitting in the grandstand thinking they can do it better don't think about that you have no. to take care of for this, right? Yep, and you're exactly right. When I when I first thought about this event, I thought it was going to be, all right, easy, you know, you get some sponsorship, and you make a little, an LLC, and boom, done. You just pay your people. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then you start thinking, okay, well, you have to rent the track facility, yes. and you have contracts with them. Then you have to get insurance yes. for everybody. Then, you, who, how many employees do you need? And you know the, even just the little things like the stage and you know the big checks that you hand to the winners and trophies and yep. you know there's just so many moving parts that you know making sure the bathrooms are clean and, and trash cans are clean and you know you want to make sure that everything's right and professional and. Um, there's going to be some errors, I'm sure, but the uh, at the end of the day, I'm doing everything I can to make this a success, and uh, it should be bigger and better every year. Well, uh, we're excited about it. You've got uh, you've got other business ventures that you're involved in too. Um, you know, here's an opportunity. To, if there's anything that uh, you want to share with our audience, uh, you know, that they can uh, have access to, buy or support or whatever, um, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. Yeah, you know, I mean, right now I'm so I'm involved with a little bit of everything right now. Um, but the uh, the most important thing I just would like to, to say a huge thanks to is a Second Chance Jobs organization. They they're a firm believer in me and my uh, my life, and you know everybody knows my story. And I had a second chance at getting back on my feet and a second chance at living life. And um, you know I'm I'm super thankful for that, but. They are an organization that helps veterans. Um, it helps formerly uh, incarcerated people that were, uh, you know, going through a, a tough life and yep. um, had some major issues. And this organization actually helps people get back on their feet, finds a job. Um, it helps, you know, helps them any way that they can. So they've been a huge supporter of mine. And um, again, that's Second Chance Jobs organization. And if anybody wants to go check them out, you know, they, they have a great cause and um, I'm super happy to be involved with them. And then, you know, I'm involved with some other things, but, you know, right now this Opal Showdown, it's, it's become my forever job, I think, uh, <laughs> 44 hours a day. But, uh, you know, there's some little things. I'm involved with a trucking company right now. And, um, oh, but wow. at the end of the day, Opal Showdown, man, that's uh that's my all my eggs are in that basket right now for sure well it's going to be an exciting time uh in vegas and um yep. i couldn't think of a better place to hold it to be honest uh you perfect. know I, I think you've got the i think you've got the perfect uh, scenario there um so it should be a lot of fun and i know i'm looking forward to checking it out and i'm sure there are a lot of other people who will as well um and you know i'm happy that you took a few minutes i know you're a busy guy to uh, 
to to give us the skinny here on the groove. We're excited about the the uh, revival of the West Coast super modified scene because we're trying to obviously get the East Coast super modified scene uh, back up and and running in a bigger and better way. And John Nicotra has done a great job of that with his uh, challenge series that he's put together. Um, we yes. lo- we would love to see you back in Oswego in a super modified at some point, Davey. Is there any chance we might be able to, to get that, make that happen next year? We need to nudge Johnny some more, man. I, uh, we had a race in Lorraine, Ohio, uh, a few months ago and Johnny was there with Otto and, you know, I sat in Otto's car and I just, it just made me miss being in a super modified. It's been so long. And, um, I don't, I, you know, I'm not familiar with that world as much as my dad is, obviously, but, you know, Johnny and I have a good relationship forever. I've known, <laughs> he's known me since I was a baby, but, um, hopefully one day I can convince him to get me in one of his cars for a race or two. And, um, I'd love to come back and race the classic, obviously. And it would be really cool if, if we get my dad back in a super out there too, because, um, I, I was fortunate enough to be able to race against him once there and I would love to do it again. Well, uh, as I recall, you ended up, uh, I think your dad had an issue in that race, and you ended up finishing it and did pretty well. So, um, you know, love to see you guys both back out there. And uh, I know, John Nicotra, I know you're listening to this. So, uh, you know, here you go. I'm going to put this yeah. in your lap, and uh, let's get uh, <laughs> let's get D Jr. and D Sr. back to Oswego one more time, at least. Uh, so, um, Davey, uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity here to thank anybody that you need to. Uh, um, I wish I had the time to thank everybody and, and, and each one of them, but, um, you know, just everybody that's been involved in putting this together. And, um, you know, I have to give a huge thank you, though, to my assistant, Dylan, because I'm telling you, the Open Wheel Showdown would not be possible without him. Uh, he has been my right-hand man for the past few months, and we've done everything ourselves. So all the videos, all the, the social media graphics, all the um, emails, everything like that, calls. It's been me and him. So without him, I probably <laughs> it would have been a, a crazy life I've been living. But uh, he's been a super huge help to you know keep me organized. And um, you know that's that's my number one person right now to help that help made this possible. And um, you know a lot of people have him to thank for keeping me straight <laughs> for this whole thing. Is uh, that's a big job. Now is Dylan yeah. like Share or does he actually have a last name? Uh, he does have a last name. I actually don't know want... how to pronounce his oh. last name. <laughs> so I see what a, you're it's doing. It's a long here. one. It's a long one, but it's a, it's tough, and I don't want to say it wrong. But uh, you know, he's he he'll uh, he'll be at Vegas, you know, helping out. He uh, I kind of put him in charge of all the media people, you know, because we have 15 plus media uh, guys just from a photographer standpoint alone. Yeah. So. You know, and then all the speed sport guys, I don't even know how many people that they're bringing, but it's, uh, I have no idea how many people are going to show up, but I am expecting thousands. <laughs> so um, we'll see. We'll see. Okay, so Davey was afraid that if he tried to pronounce Dylan's last name, he would spin and crash into t- into the wall and turn one. So uh, we're just yep. gonna leave it at Dylan, and and if you if you know who yep. he is, then there you go. Um, yeah. And uh, okay, last question: How do people find out more information about this? What's the website, the Facebook, all that? Yeah, so everything is just at Open Wheel Showdown. Um, our website's openwheelshowdown.com. Okay. Pretty pretty easy, and you know I think you could even Google it now, and it, it pops up. So. The uh, 
everything's open world showdown um and that's where you can find a lot of information about you know competitor information driver list purse info um i would say hotel info but not i doesn't really do do you any good anymore because it's sold out but <laughs> um you can find the hotel information there and um just about how the event came about and my vision for it and um our partners are on there so yeah, if, you, if anybody's interested in learning more, just go to openworldshowdown.com. Well, Davey, congratulations on the birth of this huge event. I believe this is something that's going to become a real staple in short track motorsports for a while to come. Um, and uh, looking forward, hopefully, in the future to being a part of it. And thanks for taking some time to talk with us uh, about it on The Groove. Yeah, thank you, Tom, for having me. That is Davey Hamilton. Back with more in a moment. Experience the age-old Irish hospitality at LaGroff's Pub and Grill, Oswego's premier local spot to grab a cold one and cheer on your favorite sports teams. Stop in for a nice cold beer alongside some exceptional pub fare. Burgers, wings, chicken sandwiches, Philly cheesesteaks, soups, and more. You want it, they've got it, served up with more than 40 years of awesome customer service. Have a friendly game of darts against players from across the world. That's right, players from across the world. Where else in Oswego can you go to play darts against somebody from across the world? That's crazy. Watch the games on their eight big screen TVs or just relax at Oswego's Neighborhood Bar and Grill, La Grouse Pub, 187 East 10th Street in Oswego. Check them out on lagroffs.com. Welcome back to the show. It is time for our second special guest of this show and excited about it. We just talked to Davey Hamilton Jr. And uh, now we're talking to Dave Danzer, who uh, obviously uh, has had quite the year for himself and ended up with his first ever Budweiser International Classic win. But um, I think that the latest announcement that Dave made uh, is perhaps where we should start this, Dave. Um, you are headed west to take part in the open wheel showdown that Davey Hamilton Jr., our previous guest, is putting on uh, in December in Las Vegas. And so let's, first of all, I want to know um, what, why did you make the decision to go out there? What was behind that? And talk a little bit about the experience that you've had so far with uh, the folks from out that way in terms of making it easier for you to uh, to go out and compete. So we were talking about it last year. We kind of kicked around for a little bit, and it never really commenced, we'll put it that way. And uh, Doug Cowles was messaging me a couple weeks ago about how we should go out there, and I kind of mentioned it to my father, and usually if – uh, if he doesn't want to do something, he usually shuts it down pretty fast, and uh, he didn't this time. So we kind of talked about it for a couple weeks, and finally we just finally said, eh, screw it, you know, let's do it. So uh, I reached out to a lot of those guys out there, and a lot of them reached out to me. So uh, we plan on heading out kind of early. And, uh, they're going to have an extra practice session for us on Thursday, which which I think will really help. And, uh, sure. So any chance you can get 
to run the car, I want to run it. I mean, I mean, we put a lot of time and effort and a lot of money into these things, and to have it sit in the garage all winter long, uh, it's still together. We haven't taken it apart or anything not yet. So we said, screw it, let's go. And and all my guys have been more than supportive. They're all going, which is a first. Usually, anytime we even go on the road, a lot of them don't go, but wow. they're all coming out. So we'll have a more than a full crew. So this will be this will be really cool. A really cool event to be a part of, and uh, I can't wait to see how it uh, goes down. Well, everybody wants to go to Vegas, right? I mean, you know, that I think there's probably a big difference in the level of enthusiasm for going somewhere like, say, Spencer or Evans Mills versus uh, Las Vegas. Uh, so that might might have something to do with it. But uh, uh, this, this I know, will be a blast for you. Um, what have you been learning from some of the guys out there because obviously your car is not a west coast car it's a completely different car um i mean a, a race car is a race car but it kind of isn't so what what do you think is going to be the secret to being able to compete with those guys and talk a little bit from a technology standpoint about you know your car versus their cars and what you think um what you think it's going to take uh the first person i talked to was probably uh richie reed Richie okay. Reed ran out there in uh, 2010. So I, I picked his brain for a little bit. He kind of gave me some tips on where to go, where I should put my setup as. Uh, he told me just run out there. He said the place has got a ton of grip. Uh, he said also, he said the biggest thing is tires out there. He said the tires out there are a lot more consistent. They're a lot better. We'll put it that way. Oh. The best way he worded it. Interesting. So uh, then I reached out to, actually he reached out to me as uh, Jim Burgess. Oh, he runs out there, and he's been awesome to deal with. I mean, he's been—he told me he'll go to Hoosier and pick out my tires for me, and he told me what. So usually at Swigo and Ismo, you got to run their tire compound. Yeah. And running out west, you can run any tire compound Hoosier makes. So he kind of put it on to what he runs, what he suggests, and what he's really good at. So he's been helping us with that. He kind of steered me away from certain tire compounds, and so he and uh, so he's picked them out for us this coming week. And uh, hopefully the car we're going to keep the car somewhat similar. We talked about getting kind of crazy because those guys don't really have a rule book. They're kind of like it's basically open comp. We'll put yeah. it that way. Yeah, you can add as many wings as you want to it, but. We're just going to run it as an Oswego slash Isma style car. It's going to stay just the same if I'm going to go run Evans Mills, go run Oswego. Not going to add any more wings to it. Just stick to what we're used to instead of going out there and chasing our tail. Because we're going to be on a different set of tires than we normally run on. So we're going to put two sets of tires on for practice. And hopefully we go out there and we're going to be pretty competitive. That's what I'm really hoping for. So now, uh, will you run the tail wing and the top wing? Because I saw somebody somewhere on social that was kind of wondering how that would work, uh, given the nature of the open competition out west. Is it? Is there any advantage to that, or are you just going to run the top wing with no tail? We're just going to run the top wing with no tail. Okay. I suggested bringing because the bumper on the car can run the Swigo tail section, and I do have the plates that will sit on there. But the guys want to keep it to what we're used to. Because when Evans Mills, when we ran there, with we put a rear tail on there, and we just struggled all day. And then the feature time, we ended up taking it off, and the car seemed to be a lot better. Oh, wow. So it's something we're used to. Uh, I know a lot of these West Coast guys just talking to Burgess. They, 
I couldn't believe when he told me that they run like seven or eight inches of stagger on them cars to get them thing to turn. And wow, we run usually with our wing. We usually run about five to six. So those guys got to run a lot more stagger. So I think that's why they got to have all that downforce, try to keep the cars on the ground because those things are going to want to spin out with all that stagger. So uh, uh, I kind of hope we're close. That's kind of what we're all shooting for, and we're just hoping to be competitive. Hopefully, hopefully they have a good field, good uh, good turnout. I mean. Davy Jr.'s been doing a good job uh, getting a lot of cars for this event. So I think that it, sh- it should be a pretty, really good time. So. Yeah, he just told just told uh, me that he's looking at 24 to 26 right now, which would be incredible if that happens, if you think about it, given uh, how quickly the West Coast scene has sort of woken up out of a deep sleep for a number of years. Um you know, over the last year or two, it's really come back. And I, I mean, my gosh, uh, you don't see many shows on the East Coast with 24 or 25 cars. If we could get that for this showdown, that would be pretty amazing, I think. Absolutely. Uh, anytime you can get more and more supers out there, it's better publicity for all of us. And yeah. hopefully we get put back on the map. I'm hoping that's really what, what this starts. I hope we can start like another, I remember... Going down to uh, North Carolina, yep. what was it, 06, when yep. they had the East-West shootout, and that was that was awesome. That was a good time, and hopefully hopefully we can start something like that back up. Hopefully I can work with them guys. I know Nicotra is going out. He's talked to me. Hopefully we're, uh, we're hoping we can get one of his cars out there. But uh, he said, uh, I think they said something about the motor for the – the McKennedy car they bought wasn't back yet. So ah. That's why they weren't heading out. So. Okay. Well, that would be would have been fun to see Otto go out there and, and drive. And um, Davies made it clear that he would love to come back and race the Classic again at Oswego and um, has expressed that I should uh, start working on John Nicotra for that. So um, I know John listens, so we'll, we'll just uh, we'll plant that thought and let John do with it what he will. But, uh, you know, it's, it's just cool to see that you're doing this and giving the East Coast some representation. So I'm excited about that. What do you think it's going to take to win that race? It's not a super long race, but it's a, obviously a much different track than what you're used to racing on, I think. Yeah, I asked. Uh, I, uh, I've been watching some in-car cameras from out there from the past and, uh, and last year, watching what those guys do. Uh, it's obviously a track I've never raced on, I'll put it that way. I yeah. mean, to be anything similar, I thought it was going to be kind of like Lee, but Richie Reed said the place has got a ton of grip. And uh, that's something that we're not really used to racing out here. Like I, I, I thought it was going to be kind of similar to Lee, New Hampshire, but yeah. Lee's like a tire grader. It eats up tires pretty bad. Yeah, it's an old surface. And you lose grip throughout the night. But he said the place just doesn't wear out. He said the tires out there, for some reason, they just they heat cycle really, really well, and there's, like, nowhere. So we're hoping. What a concept. It's good. I mean, it's it's something we've, we're not really used to. No. So we're hoping Thursday when we get there, we test well. Uh, that's one thing we're hoping at. We're bringing up pretty much every spare part we got and some spares. And in case we need to change the car around, at least we will. Because there's a practice session Thursday, and there's a practice session Friday. So... Hopefully we show up there, we run good Thursday, and then on Friday we can kind of take it easy if the car's good. And But race day, what is it? You got two six-lap practice sessions, then you got time trials, and you go right into the feature. So I'm not really used to that. I know that's kind of like the Star Classic where you go with time trials and then you go right to the feature. So 
But being the feature is only 40 laps long, it's a 3.8, so it seems to me you're going to have to go, and you have to go pretty quick. So. Yeah. Yeah, it'll really be interesting because it will be a different. It'll be it'll be fun to see how passing works out on on that track with a super. In in my, in my mind, I I've I've never seen um, a super race on that track. Uh, I know they've obviously raced there plenty of times, but um, it seems like there's enough room to run two wide. But at the same time, you know. It's uh, it's a forty lap race, so there's not much time to get from back to front. Oh yeah, uh, it seems to me like it's obviously the bottom is obviously the preferred groove. Yep. But watching the videos and stuff, it looks like it really rubbers up pretty well. The top really didn't rubber up that much. A lot of people like they're on the bottom, but here it looks like you really need to get the car to rotate really really well. I mean, they're pretty narrow turns and. You gotta get the car rotating really, really well. Car would be really good out there. Would be a ball, a ball go out there. I think that'd be a really good show because that car just works so well on these smaller tracks. I think he'd really do really, really well out there. Yeah, it would be interesting, and and I almost think you'd have to try to set the car up to run the top, right? I mean, that would be the advantage if you could do that because it, it seems like most of them are. It's basically a bottom feeder. Yeah, uh, uh, I mean, the biggest thing is we gotta figure out is. Uh, air because a lot of these cars are such like clean air means absolutely everything with a super right now yeah and with these guys running these huge and i mean enormous toplings that are i don't know how a car is going to be in traffic getting behind <laughs> them if you're going to get air to the front of the car i don't really know so we talked about putting a bigger wing on there a bigger front wing maybe putting the rear tail on there but we're going to try it as is i could always throw the the figo tailing in the back if we really wanted to go crazy sure you know get a hold of Ryum, go with the wider front wing see if that helped have some options i mean go luckily we have a couple weeks so we're preparing for getting it ready so we'll see what happens that's exciting <laughs> yeah it's very exciting i can't wait to see how this goes and again uh speed sport one is where it's going to be live streamed so everybody has will have access to it uh, if they would like to. So that's that's always a plus. Right. Um, yep. Okay, so now I want to go all the way back because we'll get to classic. Uh, we hate, we did uh, talk with you after right after the race, so we, we'll get back to that and have some discussion. But I want to talk about um, what your earliest memories are of super modified racing at Oswego. Oh, wow. Wow. Uh... Well, I remember, uh, I remember going full time in '91. That was the first time I actually went the whole season. Okay. And my first memory was probably well, was when my uncle Dale went full bore into turn oh, three and got upside down. Yeah. That's like one that's always kind of like stuck with me because I remember seeing him afterwards at my grandmother's house, and he looked like he looked like hell. He was all black and blue, and that's just one of my old. That was just a memory that's always stuck in my head. And then, uh, what was it? I think the following year, my uncle broke his foot, my Uncle yep. Billy. Yep. So that's another memory. So I don't have too many great memories from back in the day, <laughs> but I remember some of the, uh, I remember some of the gnarliest, uh, gnarliest ones they've had. So, Well, um, I, I've always told people that Dale's wreck was one of the first times that I had the conscious thought that there is a God um, because that could have been far worse. Uh, and, you know, it was a scary wreck to watch. Um, so 
you you started in 91 now i know that you actually started racing in mic rods and we'll get to that but but what what do you remember about sort of coming up through the years at oswego and were you involved at all did you ever in in that period of time as you started to get older did you ever did you get involved in the the mechanical part of of the car maintenance um at all before you really started racing yourself Oh, yeah. Uh, so I started working on my father's car when I was as young as it can be, to be honest. Uh, oh, wow. He put the car up for sale in 96, and that's when Tim and my uncle Billy kind of went their separate ways, kind of. Okay. And he kind of lost some crew members then, so I kind of was like, all right. I kind of got dragged into it, so I would I would help him as much as I can. So, I mean, that's, I grew up helping him, and... And then when I was getting ready to turn 16, he still had his old super, and he got rid of that just so I couldn't drive it. Oh. So that's because that was because that was our intentions. Well, well, my intention was to get get in his car when I was 16, and he wasn't having it, and neither was my mother. So he let that walk pretty cheap last week in that one year, and the following year we ended up getting a uh, I'm gonna call him a limited super modified. Now that we yep. got three, yep. so uh, I got that and. Been racing this way ever since. Okay, so your first year in the limited, what was it like? I always like to ask everybody this because you get so many different answers. What was it like the very first time you strapped in a car at Oswego and took your first couple of laps around the track? Um, you know, from being a fan growing up, watching your 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 dad and, and Billy and everybody and Dale, you know, your family. Now you you're the one strapped into the 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 machine. What was that like for you? Well, when I was first strapping in, I thought this was going to be cake. You know, I was racing younger, and I thought <laughs> I'm going to go out we heard and wax these Hawks old guys up. I thought I was going to wax these old guys up, and I ended up <laughs> freaking tearing that thing apart. I flipped my rookie year. I had everything but the freaking pace car my first year. Uh huh. You know? So it was a learning curve, and at the end of the year, I'm like, man, I don't know if I'm really made up for this. I'm like, this is a lot harder than I thought, and then we rebuilt the car all winter again after me wrecking it, and came out next year, we ran better, and I still tore it up quite a bit, and probably the best person to give me, uh, to talk about my SBS career was Dalton Doyle, said, freaking, you hit everything but the freaking pace car constantly, and you were probably one of the worst SBS drivers ever, so he couldn't believe <laughs> I moved up into a super. He still talks about that every once in a while, about how they can't believe how the worst SBS driver turned out to be a pretty decent super driver. So. <laughs> Did you send him a picture of the uh, picture of you with the classic trophy in the wreath and go, wow, look at this? <laughs> oh, he was shocked. He couldn't believe it. He was racing that night at Utica Rome, and his, uh, his wife called him like, holy shit, it's between me and Barnsley. So uh, uh, all three of us are friends, so he was happy that came down between the, the two of us. Yeah. So. Well, so, uh, but the SBS, or Limited, as it was back then, um, I think it still should be, but what do I know? Um, the, the, that class, that car, although it's been kind of allowed over the years to start to look somewhat more like a super modified, um, is still a very different car. So it's not surprising to me as long as I've been around the sport and seeing drivers go from one type of car to another and all of a sudden they either get way better or they go to the other car and get way worse, um, 
you know, it's it's different from one car to the other, the, the sort of mental programming that it takes to be successful. What do you think it was for you from the SBS slash limited to um to the to the super modified that made the difference and, and allowed you to be sort of a better super modified driver than maybe you were in the uh limited SBS? I think it was uh, the people I was around. That's definitely helped. I mean, I oh. remember the first super I had I ended up having to suck throttle the first day, and then I had to go back to the SBS for the rest of the year. So uh, uh, I became really good friends with Joey Hawksby, and then we put that new car together, and he took he took me underneath the ropes, and uh, he basically sat me down and said, basically, you need to learn and listen to Greg Furlong. So my first, <laughs> year, so, so my first year, I had Greg Furlong in my ear every week, I mean, there were some nights where we went out and we ran really good, and then uh, the following week I'd go over to Greg's house and we'd watch the tape. I mean, I'd be walking in there thinking I'd just freaking, you know, I ran great, awesome, heads, you know, my head was huge. I'd walk out of that house thinking, man, I don't know if I could do this. Because <laughs> he would just tear you apart. He just, there was just, you could always get better. That's one thing Greg always taught me. And then, you know, he'd, he'd pull out this video of him winning Lee, New Hampshire, from what 18th yeah and he he stood up the entire time and screamed in my face saying look who we passed going around pearly and start screaming that's what i had to deal with my rookie years so it was kind of like geez i'm like i'm gonna have to get some mojo like that guy's got and he's just he he's always stuck with me throughout the year i mean the coolest part was uh he called me just after classic he was impressed i talked to him uh before the classic as well and He's always stuck with me all these years, so anytime I needed a question or talking, I would call up Greg. Or I'd go out and pick Joey's head. You know, it's, it's one thing. I always think about racing all day long, and it's one thing Hawksby gives me credit on. You know, I'm, I never like to settle for anything. You know, just keep keep working on your stuff and keep getting it better. And so I always talk to Hawksby, try to pick his brain, and talk to Greg's as well. So that always works out and helps out a lot. Well, and, and Greg made the same transition that you did obviously going from the limited to the to the super joey made no transition he started in the super which is kind of what you wanted to do but your folks uh put the uh, kibosh on it and so um it's funny how the the sort of backgrounds intersect there a little bit um and you know i laugh uh, i laughed when you mentioned greg because um when i went up for classic uh joey uh, had that Greg was working with Talon and, and, and it's, you know, again, it's, it's, um, there's, there's definitely, I mean, I think Greg is, is one of the best pure talents that's ever sat in a super modified. Um, and, you know, we obviously know the back and forth and all of the, the politics and the drama and all that, why he's not still racing, but, um, you know, I think that having someone like that, and it is interesting, you kind of, um, you kind of make him sound like John Madden a little bit, <laughs> a little bit. Uh, you get until when he watches a video of himself, you'll never see anybody more amped up than Greg. That's funny. Well, I will. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, it's, it's I could go somewhere with that, but I won't. Uh, it's pretty comfortable. Yeah, we'll just we'll just leave that right where it is. But but um, it's funny uh, that that's you know, and certainly having somebody like that to be able to 
because it is a humbling thing, right? I mean, it's funny because when I when when I did the show with Joe Senior, Joe Oxby Senior, a couple of weeks ago, it was the same kind of thing. He was sitting in the grandstand and thought, "Well, I boy, I could drive way better than those people." And then he got in the car and took me. You know, he said about a half a lap in, he knew that it it was wasn't what he thought it was going to be. And oh, yeah. um, you know, it is a very humbling thing because it's it's it looks easy. And I've always said that when you look even at the worst of, you know, the drivers in the in the field, in any field, um, super modifieds, modifieds, cup, whatever, you have no idea how actually good <laughs> that driver is because um, in order to be able to, to, to do what you do and race a car around a racetrack at 130 or 150 or 200 miles an hour, for for however many laps it takes, you gotta have some talent, or you're gonna stuff the thing in the wall. And you know, you kind of got that out of the way early. Um, and next thing you knew, uh, you know, here you were starting to run better and run better. And um, do you remember your first feature win? Yeah, in the small blocks or the supers? Uh, well, we'll talk both. Small block first. Small block. Yeah, uh, yeah, we were. Uh, it was 2000, I think it was August, I think it was August something, 2008. Uh, we got out front, and uh, that year the Hedger cars really struggled, and that's what I had. And uh, FFBs won all the races up till that night. So we got out front, and uh, Robbie Poland pressured me the whole way, and we got to hold him off. And the best is, is uh, Barnsey was running, uh, he was running, I think, Toledo, Ohio that night. Oh, and uh, he was with Larry Von Holt Sr. And Larry Von Holt Sr. told Barnsey, hey, you're not going to believe this. Uh, Dave Danzer won uh, the SPS feature that night, and Barnsey said he about had a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> Boy. So Barnsey goes, holy shit, unbelievable. <laughs> Boy, these... <laughs> Boy these, so, these guys had so much faith they, in me, Dave. Oh, geez. They, oh, yeah. Like, freaking Barnsey said his mouth at the floor. He said he couldn't freaking believe it. So, uh Wow. But then, uh, then the super feature that one that one was really cool. Uh, we should have won the two races before that. I kept spinning out, getting into lap traffic. So the third time the charm that year, I had to hold off Gozik. Gozik had to hold off Riskus, which that kind of helped for him to win the championship. But at the end of the year, that car was just super fast. I got comfortable and uh, we got out front and we just dominated the whole race. And then we had to do like a green checkered and we had a broken part in the back. So I kind of had to flip the thing around, and I just wasn't going to get off the bottom. And luckily, we held off Gozik and Riskus. So, did you finally get some respect after that? Did Furlong and Barnsley? Did all those guys like? Did you? I feel like you 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 were the Rodney Dangerfield of of a Swiggo Speedway for a little while there. Ah, uh, Furlong, yeah. Barnsley, probably not. Me and Barnsley <laughs> didn't talk for a couple of years. He wrecked me pretty bad Uh-oh. back in '06. Uh, so he didn't talk to me for a couple of years, and, you know, now we can't go two days without talking to each other. So uh, uh, I think probably 2012, we started driving for Strongs. He started coming in. You know, he'd just walk into the trailer and grab a bumper and say, see you later, I'm taking this for the night. <laughs> so he'd go put it on his car. That's kind of like mine and Barnes' relationship. Basically, anything that's in my trailer says. Is anything in his trailer yours? Well, he doesn't really own a trailer, so I guess that uh, can't be usually, true, right? Freaking not usually. Usually when he calls me, he needs something. Yeah. Well, usually if he calls me and he's all serious, he usually needs something. A couple of weeks ago, he was selling his house, and he needed me to put 
hardwood floors down that I've never done. So here I am putting hardwood floors down in his house right before he's getting ready to close on or uh, to sell it. So uh, <laughs> so usually we help each other out quite a bit. Usually, he, usually I take pretty good care of him. Usually Jody, his wife, will call me and say, yeah, he's freaking out. You need to come help him. So <laughs> when he starts freaking out to her, she'll call me and say, yeah, you need to come help him. So usually that's what I do. So. Somebody make sure Mike listens to this show, will you? Because I want to follow. Oh, I, I want to follow up with Barnsey after this to, to to get his side of the story. This is fun. Um, so uh, even more ironic then that it would come down to the two of you for the classic, and I mean obviously because you're human and you have a heart um, and and feelings, it had to be tough to to. I think you probably would rather have passed Mike in a race to the finish than, you know, the fuel situation. But, boy, you, you just got to take a win any way you can get it, especially in the classic, because it is so doggone hard to win it. Oh, yeah. Uh, to, uh, freaking. Michael told me when he was out of fuel, he said when he was going around the front stretch, he was hoping to God it was a, I was the first car he saw because we worked together. Usually classic weekend, I'll go down, talk to him. He'll come up, talk to me. Uh, we'll just, like, that's our plan. It's our plan. Basically, we're not team cars, but we act like team cars sometimes. Oh, wow. Like, we'll work together. We'll ask him, you know, what he's doing. Like, I'll go down and talk to their guys. I'm good friends. Like, I'll talk to Richie, his father. I'll talk to Big Dan. Like, we'll, you know, we'll talk tires sometimes and, what like, what they're doing, what they got. And we work together quite a bit, like, all these years, like, Anytime we go there, we usually always want to sit on the front row together. That's usually that's usually our plan. And going into classic, I asked him what his plan was if he wanted to lead. He told me he didn't want to lead. Then I talked to a couple of the people behind me. They're like they're all kind of hush hush, and nobody <laughs> didn't want to lead. So when I was just sitting in the car, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna have to come up with something. And I'm like, yeah, screw it, get out front, and hopefully save my stuff as much as I can. And See what happens. I I didn't really want to lead, but nobody else didn't really want to. So I thought I could run a pace slow enough where I can conserve my stuff. And I didn't know he was blowing fuel. Shulet came up to me and said he was blowing fuel for like 100, 100 to like 115 laps. And I'm like, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't even know he ran out of fuel. I couldn't see getting into one towards the end of the race. So I didn't know who that guy was. I All I saw was silver. So I, I thought when I came across the line, I thought I finished second. Which oh, wow. I was more happy with. And I didn't know till the cool down lap that we actually won the race. So How did you find out? Uh Chuck Hanley came across the the radio and said fifty two outside Victory Lane and I had no idea. Wow. I thought Barnaby won because I couldn't see him. He was long gone and I didn't know he ran out of fuel. So uh, that time of the day being that right around six o'clock, you cannot see it all getting into turn one. And all I saw was just a silver tailwing. I had no idea who was out of fuel. Wow. So Chuck comes out on the radio and basically says, not congratulations, not, hey, great job. It's uh, 52 to victory. Now, what in your mind, what happens at that moment? Because that had to be like, oh, snap. I probably couldn't say everything I said <laughs> over the radio. But uh, I, was, I was just in complete shock. It just, I'm like, I... I knew we were going to be good on fuel, so, but I didn't know that he was going to be close on fuel. I thought that situation 
his situation was going to be good, and he was just so much better. I, if Probably if we didn't get into lap traffic, I think the race would have been a little better. It's just as soon as he got into lap traffic, I could not get my car to turn at all. Ah. The sway bar, we had way too much fuel in the car for one, and that didn't help. And the front sway bar on this car ends up hurting me more, and it helps me. And it did something that I didn't think it was going to do. It cost us towards the end of the race because I really thought that me and Michael could really race it out. I knew he was going to be there. So part of my goal was to run hard and see if he'd chase, and he kind of did towards the end. And uh, But, yeah, I, I'm still in shock over that. It really hasn't sank in. Uh, so I but. can only imagine. I mean, it's a, it's a lifetime accomplishment. And, you know, so many of the, the best drivers to ever sit in the Super don't have a classic trophy. And it again, it's it's kind of like the Daytona 500 in NASCAR, um, you know, or even the Indy 500. It there's only so many winners. Only one only one time a year does it happen, and only one guy wins. And now the interesting thing is for me sitting in the grandstand, you know, again with my limited knowledge of what's going on inside the cars, I'm watching, going, wow, you know, David's really, you know. Um, kind of, and I'm thinking, well, I hope he's saving enough, and then Barnsley gets by you, and again, the appearance, and this is why I love doing these interviews, because the appearance was, Barnsley gets by you and just checks out, and you're thinking, oh gosh, Mike, you could slow down a little bit here, and then all of a sudden he does run out of fuel, and you're thinking, well, maybe he, you know, maybe he ran it a little too hard, but it sounds like some of the lead he had was the result of your car not being as good in traffic. Yeah, uh, traffic, see how that race changes in the past couple of years where you get the passing flag if you're the leader and then second, third, fourth, and fifth don't get it. Yeah. So uh, at the end of the race, probably about 15 to go is after that caution, we caught lap traffic again, and uh, he got caught behind Bellinger, which I think that took some of the speed away in his car because he yeah. wasn't in clean air, and tried to get around traffic, and I came up to two lap cars that let him go. And then they came right back up into the groove, and then I'm trying to hold off Allison while trying to run the top, and that's how Mikey got away. <laughs> yeah. I could see him, and then I couldn't see him at all anymore, and then I'm kind of like, eh, now it's between me and Allison. Just kind of hit your marks, and I just think Mikey at the end of the race, like, there's been a couple people told him, like, you know, why didn't you slow down? But the way I see it is, it's the classics. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know yeah. if all of a sudden someone's going to go. Yep. Then all of a sudden you can't go. You're going to run that car as hard as you can for the last, I'm going to say, 50 laps. 50 laps, you're to the boy. You're, you have a guy watch, you know, usually giving you signs. That's what I had throughout the race. And his hands were touching the last 50 laps, so I was just driving that thing as hard as I could. And I think that kind of hurt the car because the car wouldn't rotate. And then at the end, I kind of backed up, backed up my entry some, got the car to rotate where the car was better, and I kind of could – keep the same distance on Allison. Uh, she could kind of get me going in, but it seemed like I had a little better drive off after that. So uh, next year we'll obviously make some changes and make the car a little better and hopefully run the same type of race next year. But I'm kind of glad I didn't lead all 200 because I probably wouldn't have made it out that track that night because there's a lot of people saying they were worried about me Tying Champagne's record, and <laughs> well, I had a lot of complaints about that. A lot of people were worried about it. So, I 
I feel like I'm probably about as big of a Jimmy Champagne fan as there is at this point, um, aside from family. And, um, yeah, I've I've been on record saying I hope that record never gets tied um, because uh, the way that Jimmy did it was that he wasn't trying to do it, right? He was not, yep. and he only ran as hard as it took to stay out front. And I've seen so many other drivers, no disrespect to any of them, who, you know, just took off and ran away and and totally – you know, it's kind of the greed jumps on your head factor. You, you, and I didn't feel like there was any sort of racecraft in there. And then, obviously, nobody's done it. In your case, um, it was sort of hard to gauge whether you were really um, running full bore or you were just sort of leading to lead. And and after hearing you tell the story about how nobody wanted to lead, which I find funny because. You know, that's what when they changed the lap money to where it didn't all go to the leader. Um, I that sort of it's interesting. It changed the dynamic a little bit. I remember a, a modified 200 in the 70s where Richie Evans ran second to Merv Treichler for the longest time. And the back a lap. And this, yes, and the story <laughs> the story goes that that, that his, you know his crew chief got on the radio and was like, "What are you doing?" And he's like. He's like, I'm, I'm picking up beer. Leave me alone. You yeah. know, it's like, a, it's a, you know, it's it's uh, and then eventually Bird broke, so Richie got to win anyway. But um, yeah, it's it's just a it's a weird thing to watch. And I look, I I know that at some point it's gonna happen. Somebody is going to, you know, it almost happened with Thompson the one year. Um, you know, he didn't quite get the lead from the start, and we've seen Randy come very close, and and Joey Payne led a bunch one year with Graham's car. Um, but it is just so hard to do that. You probably had about as good a condition to do it as anybody's had, um, and yet um, you didn't. And so it just proves the magnitude of the accomplishment that Jimmy had that year. Um, and, you know, then we can add on top the extra sort of cherry on, on the, the, the Sunday of, you know, it being one year after his rear engine car had a great classic race, didn't even finish, but got banned because it was fast. Yep. Um, you know, and Jimmy came back with the same thing everybody else had and spanked him. So um, it just goes to show you how difficult that is to do. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's uh, luckily I had... Uh, I had a guy down in turn one and I made him uh, put uh, my race pass on. So we kind of had a strategy talking to him about where I wanted to be for time wise. Ah. So he was watching race pass and watching my times of where I wanted to be, where I wasn't going to use my stuff up. So he got me into like a good rhythm. And then when I started getting pressured, he would pick me up just a little bit. So we had like a good strategy. Overall, it kind of worked out because I know the package that we have right now that we probably won't be running next year. Once you get out front, it's so hard to get around people. So that's why when I was just talking to them, I'm like, if we get out front, it's going to be hard for them to drive around us. And I think that's one of the problems we got these days in the classic is if you, if you don't, if you're not running in the top four, I don't see yourself really working your way up because you Schulich. Shulik said he worked his butt off just to try to get up there, and he yeah. really couldn't. 
you get back in that dirty air, your car just is just, these cars just don't handle very well. I mean, they're kind of stuck down pretty well, and you can't really maneuver around as much as you can. And So we're waiting to hear what the package we're going to be running next year. Uh, it's kind of a little late in the game, I think, right now for us trying to get around the rule book here. We're hoping to get it in November, so that's why we kind of left the car together so I can get a head start and build whatever I need to build for next year before we strip it down to go get it repowder code and everything. But So we're kind of just waiting for the Speedway and waiting for the Chris Osetic to come up with what we're going to run next year. So so the Speedway and Chris are working together on the package? Uh, yeah, apparently they're working on some wind tunnel testing about ah. what we're going to do. Uh, I heard through the meeting we had uh, probably a couple weeks before Classic about we're going to keep the rear wings on them. And instead of running them at 14 degrees, I heard we're going to run maybe about zero. Wow. Uh, Right now, I heard we're roughly right now, we're about 600 pounds of downforce. And they want to put us to like 200 pounds of downforce across the back. So they want to slow us down. They want to shoot for around 16.5, I heard. Slow us down a little bit. Slow us down almost a full second. And hopefully the racing's going to be better. They had uh, Irish Saunders there from Hoosier at that meeting. And People are suggesting maybe harden the tire up, and he goes anytime it's harden tire up, the racing gets bad. So hopefully better tires. I heard uh, heard we're getting rid of our right fronts, and a lot of us run on the Isma Tour. We'll run a left rear on the right front. That was a suggestion brought up about turning the next year, about running a left rear on the right front for Oswego next year. That was part of things. So there's a lot of questions that. Nobody had any answers yet. So hopefully they're coming here in the next couple of weeks. I mean, the schedule came out. So uh, we'll see what happens. It'll be interesting. I I, I mean, um, you know, to, to me, um, it, it's, it feels like you just went through a buffet of potential possibilities. And if you do one of those things, it could change the equation fairly dramatically in one direction or another but if you do multiple of those things then it's kind of like how do we know that the one or two or three things you do are going to actually make it any better now what does slowing the cars down do for the dirty air issue because i feel like that's what i keep hearing come up is everybody talks about being behind other cars the cars won't turn dirty air what what does what does slowing the cars down do for that issue, or what of those changes do you think would most dramatically sort of reduce that that issue? I feel like if you do slow the cars down, uh, the cars are going to be harder to drive. I personally think, if especially if you take almost 400 pounds of downforce off the back of the car, the car's going to want to slide around more. Good. So you're going to have to, uh, like all our front wings that we're running right now, you're, they're probably going to be junk. Good. You'll have to go with a small front wing, kind of like what they ran back in the early 2000s, maybe. Uh, I mean, the biggest thing is, I think, I I personally feel like it's tires. The tires and the track's really lacking grip. I think Dirt Week doesn't help us at all. Like, it takes us almost the whole year to oh, get I'm that sure. yeah. clean and rubber up. Yep, I'm sure. So, 
the track is being how old it is. It's not taking rubber. So I think maybe a little better tire compound that you know that eats up that eats up tires. That means if you run them hard, you can abuse them. I think that's what we should go to. I agree. I think get it more back in the driver's hands because right now, I mean, right now if you're a grandstand driver and you want to hop into a super as is right now, this is your best opportunity because these things right now are pretty basic dry. I mean, they're not. I mean, when I first drove these things, if you were ever in a feature and you were completely to the floorboard one time going on the straightaway, you're moving. Now these things, halfway through the corner, you just drop the hammer, and that's how it is all night. It's just hard to, to really do anything with anybody. It's really hard to pass. Uh, it's just these things used to be so hard to drive, and now it's kind of like, you know, you got all of that downforce, and, yep. and you know, you kind of made it easy. So now if you start taking downforce off the cars and make people have to start driving these things again, you're going to tear some equipment up, but the racing's going to be better. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of like that, a lose-lose situation, kind of, or a win-win if you want to put it that way. So. Well, it's it's a win-win for the fans if the racing's better, and I think that's been you know really the problem for the last number of years is that the racing that just hasn't been all that great, and, of course, you – you put that on top of the, the the lack of cars to begin with, and you know it just makes for a very um, unentertaining show a lot of times. And it's it's not that the drivers, it's not that you all aren't trying. It's just what you have to race with, and um, you know. And I think that anything to me, and I said the same thing about NASCAR. Make those new cup cars as hard to drive as possible and make them so that if you overslip the tire, you're going to wreck something because then you ha- if you can get back to the point where the drivers are using both pedals to drive the car um, and keep the car from spinning into the wall, I think you're, you're, you may not be making some drivers happy. Um, but you're certainly going to make for a better race for the fans. And I always feel like the best racing in the Supers now is when nobody has any tire left and everybody's sliding around. Oh, yeah, I agree. Uh, some of the best racing is usually the 75 lappers. Yeah. Or, you know, I think I think they should go back to where, like, I remember mid-'90s, they, they used to have a 100-lap. I remember, the, what, I think it was a Port City 100. Well, yeah, it went from have, 75 to, I think it was as I high think, as 125 at one point. I I think put freaking make us run. I mean, we're not running a ton of races and stuff. So I think you should add more laps onto them. I think, you know, well, people are freaking move around the field and let people wear their stuff out and who can conserve. I think, I think the racing will be better. Yeah. I think the hardest part is now you've got the tires are so expensive that, you know, there's that constant yin and yang between, well, we want the best tire for competition, but we also, you know, ideally, you'd like to get it to where you can, you don't have to buy four tires every week because the tires are so ungodly expensive. And, yeah. you know, it's sort of that back and forth, um, you know, which, which, where do you go with it? Which is, I think a lot of the people, including me, who, who see other divisions running hockey pucks, um, and in some cases they're doing it because they have mixed motor uh, configurations and they're trying to keep the higher horsepower motors, even with the, you know, the crates or whatever. But, um, you know, it's, it's always that, 
you know, you're, you, it's hard to solve all the problems at once. And uh, but I think the first thing is, I think you guys need to to do whatever it takes to get the racing better. And I would, I mean, shoot sixteen five is fine with me. I don't care if you go back to seventeen five as long as the competition is good. Oh yeah, and all, uh, the, the only thing I see too is if you slow us down to sixteen five, I think you got to slow down the three fifties. Because you'll see a lot of those people be like, "Hey, why go buy a big block when you can go just as fast in a 350?" So, well, I, that's, yeah. that's another thing. Because the 350 class, yeah, it was great, and then, uh, but now it's to the point now, you're not seeing anybody want to move up and do a super. Like you got people like Mike Bruce. He told me he's got he has more fun in a 350. So, well, it's less expensive. It's it. It is. I mean, it you, is. Unless you, you tear them up, then you're still going to be spending the same amount of money as well, you yeah. are. So, but yeah. I mean, you can't you can't fix that problem. But you. Yeah. you but the yeah. problem is there's too much of a jump in operating costs between the 350 and the big block right now. Nobody seems to be able to bridge or few be be able to bridge that divide. So yeah. it's how you how you could reduce that gap. Because it seems fairly doable to go from the SBS to the 350. We see so many doing it. But then when you go from the 350 to the big block, not as many teams seem to be able to spend that that kind of money to do that. So, again, you're trying to sort of solve a multitude of problems. But it is that is an interesting concept because I remember when the – 350 class was first going to be created in Oswego, there were some people who actually wondered if maybe you just allow, you know, the the 350s to run with the big blocks. And, and of course, at that time, the speed difference would have been silly. But now you've got drivers of the 350s running, you know, in the, in the, in the 16-second bracket. And it's like, you know... I I get what you're saying because you you could get to a point where you can run faster in a 350 than you can in a big block. But you know what? I mean, um, I don't want to see the mess with the 350 formula too much because it seems to be working right now. The racing is actually really good. Yeah, I think they're definitely on. Uh, I think the best thing about them is they're on a lot better tire. I mean, they're running a tire that's that's run in different series, so yeah, their tires are always really. You know, really fresh. See, and then us is kind of like, you know, we kind of get whatever left in the Hoosier warehouse that week or that year. Yeah. So then see, usually, then usually at the end of the year, we start getting a new batch of Hoosiers, and then all of a sudden everybody's cars are all of a sudden out to launch. Yeah. So it, that's a tough It's kind of. There again, do you, I mean, uh, you're a driver, and, and you know, I, I, I guess your dad is actually the team owner, but I'm sure you're a big part of that. So so would, would you want to see a different tire on the Super Modifieds? I mean, are the Supers less than Supers if we go to a tire that's run in other series? Uh, it's, it's really hard to say. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the only thing is, if we do switch over to the left rear, putting it on the right front, I'm pretty certain that tire is what they also use on asphalt modifieds. Okay. So the left rear and the right front would be the two freshest tires in the car, and they'd be constantly fresh. Our right rears, they use them in sprint cars throughout the uh, throughout the states. Left fronts, I think, are kind of oddball. I think okay. they're the only ones that use the left fronts. I think they're pretty stockpiled. 
Well, as long as we get good, consistent tires that have some grip, you know, that, that I think wear out, I think that'd be better. I mean, if, if you look at running the wing car, usually the wing races are usually somewhat pretty decent. Uh, like, look at A-Ball this year at Sandusky. Yeah. He let everybody go. He conserved his tires at the end of the race. He ate them all up. Yeah. So that's that's strategy. That's how that's how a super modified race should be ran there. I agree. Let these guys go, wear them out. And then at the end, the guy saves his tires the best, doesn't abuse them, should should get out front. Like, that's that's kind of what you want to see. So. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's really, um, and I, I appreciate your, your honesty here and willingness to, to sort of put your thoughts out there because, um, you know, I think we all want to learn and understand more about the mechanics of and, and the engineering part and all of that to realize how we got where we are and what could we do to sort of, um, you know, get back to a more competitive uh, style of racing. And I, I mean, I've always said that the, the, the more the driver has in their hands with the gas and the brake, the better it is. And it seems like, you know, the downforce and the arrow and all of that technology has really hurt the sport in a lot of ways because we put it more in the engineer's hands than we do the drivers. Oh yeah. Uh, right now it's, it's whoever has the best package right now. I mean, like, a lot of us, like, I know we went to this rear wing to stop the, like, you know, the, the curved roll cages that are on our uh, on our hot cars. Yeah. And then, like, that like that was a big thing. And, and there has, there's been, what, one car that's been built since this new era, and it's Schulich, and it's the best car. Yeah. Uh, that car was designed in a wind tunnel where they can do stuff that where we can't do. So it's it's kind of a lose-lose situation yeah. right now with that. Well, Which it it kind of sucks, but the old days where you can go and you know you could build your own body, do everything you want. So uh, it's kind of gone. But uh, well, yeah, and that's I think that's that's the big change right there, right? Because you just said it uh, in a nutshell is that now things like a wind tunnel are you know are are, are almost necessity. Um, you know, McVetta just just came to the wind tunnel. You know, it's almost it's very difficult to to do one of these cars yourself. Um, you know, you really have to understand air, and you have to understand you know the engineering and the science behind it. I feel like to build a car, um, you know, and and make it work well. And you know, I don't like for me the difference between the the, the tail wing that we have now and the old wing. I think the cars. I like the new cars better. I like the, I like the look of the tailwing better. Um, but um, I know I'm probably in the minority of that. On that but <laughs> I like the look better. But I I don't. I mean I don't care. I would if 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 a Swiggo all of a sudden said we're going to a top wing full time at this point. If it made the racing better and got and, and made it easier for more people to build supers to race, fine. Whatever you got to do, you know. But it's almost like, um, you know, find a formula and stick with it for a little while. And I think it's hard because there's there should be, um, I mean, there's one side that thinks all you got to do is keep throwing more money at purses, but that still isn't bringing new cars or new drivers into it, really. Um, I think there's another that, that says you have to, A, promote better, and, B, you have to somehow reduce costs somewhere. And I just ha- I don't know because nobody seems to want to do that. 
Yeah, I mean, the only person really doing anything for us right now is Nakocher. I mean, yeah, I mean, a lot of people. I mean, Nakocher is he's taking. I'm gonna say right now he's the premier promoter of all. I agree. Right yeah, now. well, he's. I he's, mean, John Nakocher right now is like you know you got all these organizations right now. I mean, right now Nakocher is above all of them. Nakocher can do what he wants to do, and he goes and does it. That's one thing I give Johnny credit. He gets his oh, mind yeah. on something. He goes and does it. Yeah. I mean, I respect Nakocher. I mean, he. Oh, when he gets his mindset on something he does it and he does it really well yep i mean he he knows people he's got ins and outs and i mean if we ever lost john the culture i don't think we have super modified so i hate to say it he's right now keeping us alive well so, i i agree i i definitely so. agree with that and i think um i i and of course john is uh, on the on the side of let's get more money in the purse which is great i just hope we start seeing more and more money in the back because that's how you get you know, you make it easier for more cars to show up and race, and they're going to have to spend less out of their pocket. Then it 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 makes it easier for people to make that decision. But I think the next thing is we got to have more races too. Um, oh yeah. You know, somehow we got to have more races, and I don't know how you get there. Uh, you know, but it's one small step at a time. And John has certainly done some amazing things. But it's just interesting to to get uh, feedback from you guys about what you know what you think. Um, needs to happen and it's great discussion and and hopefully we'll see um, soon what's to be for next year and I hope that it um, I hope it all makes a big difference for sure Um, what what kind of a if you were to describe yourself as a driver how would you describe yourself Uh, sometimes uh, a bit conservative but sometimes I can race like I'm out of my mind. I'll put it that way. There's been some nights where I'm just mad when I get in the car and I race like I'm mad. And it's usually when I race my best. Then uh, some nights, conservative, don't want to tear it up, don't want to work all week on it. So it's sometimes I try to respect people. Uh, I can race side by side without thorn somebody. I'll never wreck somebody to win. Something like that usually. <laughs> okay. So... Um, in your, if you could drive any race car in any race in the world once, which, which car would it be? What race would it be? Or what track would it be? And, uh, what would you pick besides the super? I'd say probably the Indy 500. I mean, those, those Indy car guys going around Indy at 240 miles an hour, I think is absolutely nuts. But I'd love to try it once that or probably i'm going to say probably a 410 sprint car at, at eldora okay those guys are, i mean i respect those dirt sprint car guys those guys are those guys are nuts would you would you get in a 410 if you had the chance I, to do it i would love to try i always tell everybody if i ever won the lotto and i'd probably do one full year of sprint cars because i'd be broke or dead at the end of it <laughs> well i don't know with uh with larson's new deal you might be rich if you did well oh yeah i mean <laughs> i mean that's gonna be that's gonna be new i want to see what's gonna happen with a lot of these world of outlaw guys i know yeah. gravel sticking with the world of outlaws i know sweet switching over to high limit it's oh. it's gonna be it's gonna be different like i want to see who's gonna Who's going to go with who? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that changes the landscape. Because if I'm if I'm Brian Carter in, in the World of Outlaws management team, I'm I I don't know if I'm pants. panicked, but I'm certainly I I it, it's got my attention, and I'm trying oh, to figure oh. out how I'm going to react to this. Uh, I I would probably be in full blown panic mode. You think? And probably drop that con. Oh yeah, 
that contract where you know you can't go support well, these that, mountain yeah, races. Exactly. That needs, that needs to go. Yeah, that, that was greedy. That was that. I think that's what hurt them. Yep. So, yep. Sweet last year couldn't run some of the races, and it's yeah. You that's go run what you want to run, and there you go. I mean, they'll have enough support from a lot of these tracks they go to to have a twenty car field that they want. So it's I think they'll be all right to drop that contract. There's always that. Any time you have a situation like that, to me, I always think that you use it to your advantage because you know if you're the World of Outlaws, what I would have done is that if you win a high-limit race on Tuesday and then you win an outlaw race the following weekend, you, you, I'd find a sponsor to give a bonus for the best average finish because what happens at that point is now you're basically encouraging the drivers to run more races and they end up with the possibility of making more money. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think high-limit is going to base themselves off during uh, the week. I think I think you're going to see them the week and then weekends you'll you'll see the roll vault off. So I don't know. I think I, boy, it sure didn't sound it from what I was hearing this last uh, round of publicity. I, um, I think I they're they're going to have their midweek, but I think what they're doing with the All Stars is going to be on weekends. I think they're going to go head to head, and I think the goal is less races and actually more money. I think that's what they're trying to do. Um, I think they're what fifty races so far coming. Yeah, year. I think they're gonna they're gonna do about fifty to sixty races, and they're they're gonna pay more money. And I think what the 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 point of that is is that you shouldn't have to run you know ninety races all over the country to to you know to to win the championship. It's boy the burnout factor for for mechanics and stuff in the in the world of outlaw sprint cars is so high because is, you're right. literally never home. You're you know? you're on the. I mean, you're working, and I mean, I couldn't imagine working on race cars and hotel parking lots every other night. Oh, I watched that's, it happen. It's unbelievable. More than it's, once, hotels I've been at. It's incredible. Like you, you just, I, I mean, to to see that sort of thing, and and you know, it's pouring rain, and they're unloading the cars and washing them off in the rain, and 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 that's happened. I've been, a couple different times. I've been at a, at a hotel for another race. And, and had an outlaw team pull up at the parking lot who was on the way, you know, in route from one to another. And um, it's amazing how hard. And so, yeah, I, I just uh, I think it's going to be really, really interesting to see how the landscape of 410 sprint car races changes over the over the next couple of years with high limit. Because unlike some of the other series, I think Kyle and Brad have the name recognition and the network of people around them to stick. And, oh, yeah. you know, so I think it's, I, I think if I'm the outlaws, I'm not looking at this like, ah, oh, well, they'll be gone in two years anyway. Um, you can't be complacent. I mean, you know, it, you never make good decisions out of panic, but that this would certainly have my attention. And I really would like to see one or the other of the series develop more regional um, mini series within the series because there's a lot yeah. of sprint car teams that just can't afford to travel that yeah. much, but would would love to run a regional series. So that's what the All Stars always was was basically yep. a regional series, and now it's yep. going to be more of a national. So I don't know if some of the teams that are currently running for the championship and the All Stars are going to be able to stay with it. Yeah, I mean it's going to be a lot of money, especially yep. if they got to travel now. I yep. mean, I remember I think the All Stars are basically, I think their home is what out of Ohio. Yeah, I mean it's you know east of the Mississippi mostly. Yeah. You know, there's not that now many shows. Go, you know, 
I mean, shit, they're going to get to go across the country now, and you're basically you yeah, know, at least you have, a little bit. The smaller series, so hopefully, hopefully, it all works out. Yeah, well, it's it's going to be fun to watch, and and I think you know, again, it it sort of, um, I mean, we're all racing fans. There aren't too many people I know. I know a couple, but there aren't too many people I know that are just super modified fans. So it is fun to 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 you look around at what else the racing world's doing and see how it could you know, could inform your thinking about even what you're doing if you're Isma or whoever, but it's, um, cause even Isma, I feel like is, would, is going to benefit now from a little bit more of a close to home kind of thing. It started as the drivers at the Oswego Speedway and then it became something else. And now it's sort of come full circle to where a lot of the Isma shows are back in New York again. Um, yep. and I, I think that's, they've got a good base in Ohio and, Berlin is back on. I think it's a good thing. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I hate that they're not in New England, and I wish things were different there. But it doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon. So, you I know. did hear. I did hear through the rumors this this week that I heard that we are Isma might be going back to Lee. I heard. Oh, I heard we did get a hold of. I heard we got a hold of Danny Sewell. Oh. About race here next year, so I heard we might be heading back to New England next year. Well, stand so. by for news. Okay. So, so I did. So I did hear that. I heard the guy from that owns Lee got a hold of Danny Sewell this past week, and they are talking. So, well, we might be heading back. Okay, so that would be good to at least get a little bit of a foothold yep. there. Now, if we could just get the wing situation fixed and everybody could go, that would be great. Uh, that would be nice. That would be. So, anyway, I also, uh, also, I really want to know what happened to. Uh, I heard someone purchased Shangri La too. See, I just saw that yesterday. Too. Someone so, online said it might be coming back. I don't know anything about that. Well, that wouldn't be a bad. That wouldn't be a bad hit either. No, let's we, go. The supers can get on that too. I think that the key is now. And again, here's a question for you: because as a fan, it's easy. You jump in the car and you go. But as a driver or a team owner, and you got bills to pay and you got to fix things. Okay, so how do we have? Uh, we got these 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 five you know challenge races. Your Swiggo runs what ten races on their schedule or eleven, whatever it is. Um, and then you you know you're going to have Evans Mills. You're going to have. You know, uh, 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 a number of uh, other ISMA shows, they're all multi, multi-show multi sort of things. Um, how do you fit a, a Shangri-La 2 and maybe a Lancaster into that mix um, That to, you know, where do you put them? Can you, do you think that there would be enough cars and interest to run a midweek big block show? Or how do you, how do you fit these tracks in and expand the schedule? Um given the environment that it seems like it's hard to get the Oswego guys to travel? Uh, I would say probably your best bet would be either run a track either Friday or Sunday. That'd be your best bet to get some of the, because if the guys are coming here from Ohio, it's, you know, coming out here for one race, you know, a lot of people aren't too bad, but if you're coming out here and you're running two races, that's not a bad gig. You're already out here. Okay. Yeah, you might have to drive, say, maybe an hour, hour and a half, go from different tracks. I'd say try running, try running like a Friday or Sunday show. I remember my father, they would run Spencer on sure. Friday night, yep. Oswego Saturday, and then load up and run the Moth forward on Sunday. Yeah. I mean, those guys were also running Oswego, what, 20 to 30 races a year. Yep. Those guys were running like crazy. And now these days we're running like it's, 
I find it crazy that there's only like me, Connors, I think Bellinger. God, I'm trying to think who else, like Busky, LeVay. We're like one of the only ones that really ran like all the challenge races. Yeah. I mean, here local, I, I just have a hard time having something like that sit in your garage. And, you know, people talk about money and stuff, but it's hard to go out and get sponsors when your car's sitting home. Well, like, that's you, it. Yeah. You got to make an attempt to go out and run with these guys. And, you know what, people? I'm hoping when we go out to California, people will get around and be like, all right, yeah, you know, I like the guy got a hold of me and he was like, you know, just so you know, this ain't like a fifty thousand dollar to win race. I'm like, like I I want to race. Like I don't worry about the funds getting there. Like we had the money to get there and stuff. If we run good, we run good. Uh, I don't care about the purse. Uh, it's a once in a lifetime thing. We go out there and run with them, and I'm hoping to run more more around the country as we can. Amen. I mean, we got, I mean, these days of people saying that you know, you know, they don't do it because they don't got the money. Oh, I I know some some people online bitch that they, you know, don't have the money, and then you drive by their house and they got a Corvette, yeah, Dodge Challenger exactly. sitting in their yard, yeah, white picket fence with a camper over in the side, and then they play the money game. Yeah, I mean, you got the money, you just don't want to, you know, you just they don't want to race bad enough. They just they just don't want to race bad enough. Yeah, where I'm to the point where I I would race just about anything, at least one like. That's how that's how I feel. I just, you know, we got these hundred thousand dollar race cars that you, I mean, the one that's sitting in the garage. I think when we built it, we got one hundred twenty five thousand into it, and when we go sell it, you're gonna sell it for forty. So you already threw away all that much money. Go use it. What's two grand? What's a thousand dollars in tires? Now that's an interesting so, uh, statement in and of itself because so, I keep hearing from people that supers aren't that expensive, but you just said you had one hundred and twenty-five thousand into building your car. How does well, we that? Got, well, we built a brand new through Hawksby. That was time it's all said and done with a brand new engine and everything. It was one hundred twenty-five grand to build this car sitting here. Okay. So that's. I mean, the thing is, is just the cost of everything, fuel cells. Fuel cells, to be honest, are the, are the worst thing that's on a race car right now. They are, God, I think the last fuel bladder we had built was, I think was, it was through fuel safe. I think it was like four grand, and that's just the bladder. That's not even counting the can. Wow. Why is that's, it so expensive? I mean, obviously we need them for safety, but wow. It's just, it's just unbelievable. And then what sucks is, is fuel safe's not really building much anymore, so we're going through pyrotech and <laughs> my side cell that's on the car is a few what is it fuel bladders incorporated has a build date of 1982 on it wow it's still in pristine shape and the seat bladder that's in the car with 2014 from pyrotech is patched up to like crazy every year we have people's fuel cells that just tear apart it's just quality's not good. I remember Bellinger Classic weekend. He ran out of fuel in the race because his fuel bladder was leaking. Oh, okay. So that's, I mean, that's it's one thing. It's just the quality these days aren't lasting, and it's pretty sad. My side cell is <laughs> older than me, and the thing's still in absolute pristine shape. So... Yeah, it's it, it is amazing to think about, and, and I guess that there again, you know, it's like a lot of other things nowadays. Um, it's you know lower quality, higher price. Everybody wants yep. a bigger profit, and they don't, you know. So that what happens is they they get the cheapest materials they can make something from and 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 produce it, and then you know because that way they get the biggest markup and, and make the most profit. That's too bad. Um, 
Sounds like somebody could probably do well if they decided to uh, dive into that and produce something that's better than what's out there, even if it costs a the same or a little more, it sounds like um, yeah. a lot of you would probably maybe make the move. Absolutely. I mean, there's not a lot. I think right now you got fuel safe, pyrotech, and you got, uh, I think, ATLs down in New Jersey. So okay. not a ton of manufacturers for us. So you're kind of stuck in a pretty tight little box. And, hmm. and I know pyrotech's probably the cheapest, and getting stuff from them, being all the way out in Oregon, is probably not the best. I think fuel safe's out there as well. So. But, yeah, I mean, fuel cells right now are definitely probably one of the killers for all of us. And then some of the other parts, too. It's just supers aren't a key game. We'll put no, it that that's, way. well, and that's, I guess that's why, you know, someone like me who's kind of, who's business oriented, who thinks in marketing terms and understands that, you know, if, if you can get 25 cars to something instead of 15 by making the cost cheaper, um, somehow if you do it the right way, and then, you know, constantly being told, well, there is no way. You can't pull cost out of these cars. You aren't going to do this. You aren't going to do that. You can't do this. Um, it's kind of like, well, <laughs> then how do you get to 25 cars? And then it's, well, you pay more money, but that money has to come from somewhere. And John Nicotra is the only guy that's been able to go out and, and raise the kind of money that it takes, um, you know, you're certainly not going to get it through the front gate um, right oh, yeah. now. That's the problem because you don't have enough cars to bring in the, the, the fans and the racing needs to improve. So there's one, the only way that you can generate more income is through sponsors giving it to you. And thank God for John and his connections because that's what's, what's really propelled it. And so hopefully at some point, the racing gets better. We can get more fans in. Um, you know, I think you got to promote better locally in, in in the city to get more fans again. I think you've got to really work hard to to get new fans there. Even if you let them in for free and they buy food, that's your biggest profit center anyway. Um, although I don't know now with the track leasing out the the concession, that may be different. But um, you know, better you better you have butts in the seats than not because there's. <laughs> It doesn't matter if they they pay you a buck or or or, or twenty bucks. Um, if 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 five dollars gets them in, um, hopefully they're entertained enough to pay full price to the next show. And I think that's yeah. you know it's some oh. it's a crazy um, it's a crazy deal right now to to be a motorsport. So that's why you know somebody asked me not too long ago, would you ever consider managing a track again? And my answer was yes, I I would if I had the right team of people and the right amount of money behind me because you you can't um you've got to have more than one you know it can't be i mean j even with what john's done john can't solve all the problems and john isn't going to be the one going out and and you got to have drivers willing to to take their cars and show them and and get out and get around and help you to to promote your deal and john can't do all that right so there's there's got to be a, a number of people, a team of people doing each doing the part of the equation, right, to be able to make it work. And the ones that have that, a lot of them are doing very well. And the ones that don't are not. And that's, um, boy, it's tough. It is not easy. Everybody thinks it's easy. To, that's why I love Davey Hamilton Jr. doing this because, like, Davey found out real quick that, you know, it's it's easy to complain about um, a promoter or whatever if you haven't done it before and then you you realize all the little things you got to do and pay for and all of a sudden it doesn't look as good anymore 
Oh, yeah. I mean, it's I couldn't imagine trying to put a race on, especially with what little Davey's doing right now. No. I mean, he's got, I mean, what did I got to say? He's definitely got the car count. He does. I mean, yep. that's, that's, that's one thing. So yep. hopefully, hopefully he gets a good fan base. I'm hoping. Oh, I think like, I know. know a lot of, so I'm hoping out there. I mean, I just, I just hope it's a good show. Hope it's, I hope so you know, too. and, uh, uh, freaking me and Jim Burgess were talking the other night. I'm like, I couldn't imagine taking the white flag, leading that freaking sprint car race, driving in turn one. And if someone's on you, you know you're going to get dumped going to the next one. <laughs> you're paying $50,000 to win that race. Well, I mean, and that's, you're getting dumped. that's what those big money to win races do. Oh, yeah, that's, you that's know, what you expect. So. I've always said you don't need to put 50000 on the line to, to get you. What you need to do is make it as easy as you can for people to start the race and they'll show up. That's, um, you know, you they could they could have 25000 to win and everybody would still go. Um, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, put the rest in the back of the purse so that they have to spend less out of pocket to start the race and everybody will still go and it'll still be just as good of a show and you won't have the the impetus for somebody to dump somebody. That's all we see in late model racing in the South now. It's terrible. It's to yeah. the point where I don't Anytime care if I watch another one. Yeah, it's awful. No, it's going to happen just watching, so. Yep. It's, it's, it's uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of at the point where next year I'm 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 to the point where I'm going to go to as few late model races as possible just because of that. I want to go see some racing where, you know, we actually race to the finish without moving the guy out of the way because that seems like it happens every single race I watch and then you get the fight and then everybody says that 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 was a great time and it's like okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's just that's not the that's not the brand of racing I grew up with. That's one thing about supers is if you're going to – because usually if you lay some on the bumper in the super, you're going with them. Well, things aren't, yeah. Usually you just don't see rarely, that kind ever, of aggression. You, you, I mean, you can't race them. You can't race these things like that. I mean, no. you could really you could really go for a ride to use that freaking front bumper, especially sprint cars. Sprint cars Absolutely. got that little freaking one-inch tube just run across the front. So yep. you don't really see it from them either. No. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like there's still some forms of racing and you know road racing is the same cuz they don't they don't put up with it there. They don't they don't like it there. Sometimes they're almost overboard about not touching each other, which is it's a race you're going to touch. It's not going to be but but they 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 really in a lot of endurance racing and in the in the road race stuff, you don't see that kind of um nasty driving that you yeah. see in 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 the stock car stuff down here and and uh i don't know it's just it's interesting for sure okay so um two more questions before we let you go the first one is is the must ask question which is um nobody can race by themselves everybody has people around them that that help them to make it all happen who are yours and take as long as you need i gotta thank uh first i gotta thank my father and my mom i mean they've been dealing this for geez Oh, they're going Too on long. 30, 38 years of <laughs> yeah. racing. So they've been doing it for a long time. Got to thank my sister's girlfriend, Paige. I'll tell her. She probably wouldn't even let me go to Vegas, but she's letting me go. She's going to watch the dog, which is nice. Uh, That's great. I got, I got to thank Chris Burgess. Uh, he uh, he takes pictures up at the track. Awesome guy. Yeah. yeah. He absolutely loves it. Uh, Scott Stefanko Investments. I got to thank uh, Russ Marsden. He's done a lot for us. He's taken care of the engine all year long. I got to thank all my crew. They've been off. Oh, uh, Brian Haynes, Martin PC. Brian's come on board this past year. He's done an awesome job. 
next year we're hoping to have a couple more things coming from him, which will be nice. Oh, uh, cool. Uh, Steve Wallace, Chris, uh, Chris Bolcom, Brandon Carr, Ian Van Leuven. Uh, trying to think who else am I forgetting? Uh, brother-in-law Brian. He helps as much as he can when he's not running the quarter midgets. But I got to thank a lot of the West Coast guys as well. I wrote down a couple of their names here. I got to thank Mark, uh, Mark Pascal, uh, Bill Birdsell, and Jim Burgess for you know basically taking me under their wing already. They didn't have to do what they're doing. And That's great. They're going above and beyond, which we really appreciate that. And they've been more welcoming. And we're I'm hoping to bring some other people out there. I know there's a couple guys that are heading out, which would be cool. So the watch. Hopefully next year we can get their cars to go. But but yeah, just gotta thank everybody and hopefully we go out there and we represent Sioux Speedway and the uh, and the East Coast guys. So that's, yeah, we can't wait. Uh, and the last question is, I, I got to get this in. Um, I know this was a particularly emotional year for you because you lost um, two folks uh, before the season really even started that were very close to you. I'll talk a little bit about each of them um, and what they meant to you. And, um, of course, Mike Murphy, especially with um, how many, you know, how long he was with you helping you directly. Yeah, I mean, Murph would always... Oh, me and my father never even had to go to the track during the week to pick out tires. Uh, Murphy was the guy. He'd go there, pick them out, bring them out here, and Thursday he'd spend all day here just about. He'd mount them. He'd shoot. I mean, he'd sit out here and talk for a while. He'd call me during the week. Uh, one thing about Murphy was is I've always been known to kind of chirp a little bit and yell. I've never, Mike Murphy always would tell everybody, I've never, ever raised my voice to Mike Murphy ever. Uh, he always loved it. He'd call me lad. He picked Barnsley's brain. Uh, we we're just we we're just all really close with Mike. I mean, I never had to ask where I was for stagger wise. I just told him where we kind of needed to be, and he'd get me close. And uh, he was just he was just great for tires. I mean, he didn't have to lean in. He knew he knew what I liked. So that's it was a big loss. But I gotta say, Ian Van Moven has filled them shoes. Like, I can't believe how good Ian's been. That's great. He's been really well. Uh, we're starting to mesh all pretty well together. I mean, it's—I mean, it took all year, but we're finally figuring out where we need to be. And I really trust Ian. And uh, then my uncle Ron, man, uh, that one—I was over in Switzerland when I got that call working, and oh, wow. him passed away at Evans Mill. So that that one hurt pretty bad because Ronnie would stop by. Uh, of all my uncles, he was probably the one here the most I hear from. He'd always come out ask for tips on anything. Uh, I built a body for his super when he had it. Nice. And he'd, he'd always come out and pick my brain. And we could always talk racing. And it really sucks. Because, you know, he was racing with his kid. His kid yeah. was getting better. And they're close. And it's it, uh, it's just really hard because he just retired from work. And he just, that guy absolutely loved racing. I mean, he'd come out here and he would just shoot racing. Like, he could sit there in the garage while I was working, and he'd just, you know, he'll, uh, he'll just stop racing with you. So it was it was pretty rough. My mom took it pretty bad. And, sure. uh, yeah. I mean, it was it was just hard. So now I think kind of brought the family a little closer together. You know, my Uncle Billy started stopping more. Uh, heard more from my Uncle Dale. Good. Uh, and then so it, it, kind of, uh, it kind of helped out a little bit. And then, you know, winning class was definitely, it was really cool. They all stopped out, and my Uncle Billy saw the trophy, and, he came out and he just sat there and looked at it for a while and it was, it was, uh, <laughs> it was, it was really cool. He says close to one he's ever been to. So 
So I'm glad the family could, uh, we were able to pull it off. So it was really cool, uh, uh, especially for everything that they've put into this throughout the law. I mean, all these years, it's, it's crazy they've done it for this long. It is. Well, and it shows you just how much of a generational thing it is at the Oswego Speedway and with Supermodifieds in general. It's almost a rite of passage. Uh, I made a note. You said you're over in Switzerland working. I think a lot of us uh, hearing that would want to know, what in the world were you doing working in Switzerland? I work for, uh, it's called Sonic Systems, which is uh, an affiliate of uh, General Electric. So I Okay. I go around and I'm basically a nuclear mechanic on uh, on the refuel side. So anytime we do a refuel outage, I come in and form a couple modifications. And usually I work in the U.S., but now when I got my passport, and now I can travel around the world doing it as well. So wow, it's, it's kind of cool. It's not bad, Switzerland. Not a fan of the flight. Not a fan of the food, but that eh, was all right. <laughs> I've heard uh, I've heard Switzerland as a country though is just beautiful. It is, it is, and it's very expensive, I'll put it that is way. It? Well, but, yeah, that would go Okay, I got yeah. to go look, and as of right now, I'm heading back there in March. Oh, so wow. Hopefully, I'm back over there, and that's not bad. So, hopefully, get to enjoy that a couple more years. So, uh, well, good. Sounds so, like fun. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, thanks for your time, Dave. This has been a blast. I've really enjoyed uh, hearing your points of view and your perspective. And um, you've always been a very, um, and, and I know, you know, I mean, everybody can have their moments of temper or whatever, but you've always been a very upbeat kind of guy. And your dad was like that. I always liked your dad because Craig was always smiling and, and just always pleasant to talk to. Um, and and you've never been anything but the same and just really super happy to, to see that you got the classic this year um, and, uh, you know, is, 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 and look forward to seeing what you can do out west for us here on the East Coast. We're all going to be cheering for you. It's kind of funny because uh, at least for a little while, um, no matter how anybody likes you or doesn't like you at Oswego, we all like you for at least a weekend because we all want to see the East Coast win, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, especially, I mean, I mean, I remember when uh, the race in North Carolina, when freaking Russell took down the Pearly. So hopefully yeah. we can go out there and uh, bring it back east. It'd be nice for us. And hopefully next year, you know, people see that I did it. Hopefully people will be like, ah, hey, you know what, let's go out there and give it a whirl. Yeah, I'd love to yeah. see it. I think it would be, be fun. Cool. Yeah. That'd be really cool. So Could do worse but, than Vegas in December. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Hopefully, you know. <laughs> You know, everyone's like, oh, it's cold, it's 50 degrees. I'm like, that's shorts weather to me right now. So, Oh, yeah, I, ex- I expect so that's not, that's not bad. this one will be, I expect the Open Wheel Showdown will be far more entertaining than the F1 race. That's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, I, I hope so. <laughs> so have a, have a, uh, a safe and successful trip out there. Uh, and we'll look forward to talking to you again uh, soon, Dave. And, and uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family as well. Thank you. You too. We appreciate it. And hopefully we can bring something back for everybody over here. So thanks Sounds again. And thanks again. We appreciate it, Tom. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. It. it will be the first of uh, more, hopefully. And uh, now that we've, we've, we've actually gotten you there, if you go out and win, we'll get you right back on again. In fact, we might do it anyway just to, to hear you recount your experience out there because I think a lot of people would like to hear that. So Sounds good. Okay, good. So, uh, perfect. We'll, thanks, Tom. All right. That's Dave Danzer. And we'll be back with more of the groove in a moment. 
Okay, folks, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors here in Inside Groove, Indie Performance Composites. They're a premier composite design and manufacturing company creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Jeff West and his team are amazing. They do all kinds of work in the motorsports industry from dirt tracks to NASCAR to IndyCar, super modifieds. It doesn't matter. If you've got something that you need designed or fabricated, let them help you transform your idea, your vision, and your budget into a workable, high-performance solution. They have all kinds of services from 3D printing to finishing services End-to-end composite solutions is what they are. Check them out, ipcindy.com or indieperformancecompositesinc.com and tell them that the folks from Inside Groove set you. Well, what did you think of that, folks? Uh, Boy, two good interviews there and so much to talk about with this show out on the West Coast, right? Of course, uh, it was great to hear Dave Danzer talk about his career in general, and uh, I mentioned it in the open. The the Danzer Sharkey group family has been around the Speedway for so many decades now, going all the way back to the Sharkey Brothers 08 back in the early 70s that... um, uh, was the former champagne car from the mid-60s, the one before the wedge, it was the car that Fred Pete drove. And so, you know, so great to to be able to talk to Dave and, and get his perspective and really talk about his career and uh, to have him be so open about, um, you know, the sort of the learning curve he went through. Uh, I think he's... He's one of the best drivers of the track now. And, um, again, just so personable and uh, so enjoyable to talk to. So that was fun. Uh, and Davey Hamilton Jr., again, that is, he is, um, it is a uh, Sisyphean undertaking that he has uh, embarked on here because um, he's putting together a blockbuster. Basically, he's putting together a classic weekend is what he's doing for your first race. You know, let's, like I said earlier, let's, you know, most people would take a particular kind of car and say, okay, I'm going to have an event over here at this track for this kind of car. We're going to call it this. We're going to, no, Uh, let's do, let's start off with a copper classic. That's really what he's, what he's got there. And so uh, I applaud Davey for for the effort that he's putting in and and the team around him hopefully will get him through it and uh, in spectacular fashion. And you know what? Here's the thing with this, folks. Um, We we need to realize that this is his first attempt. So there are going to be things, I'm sure, whether they're little things or big things, there are going to be things that are going to get missed or maybe things that aren't going to go quite right. Um, you know, it's going to happen. It's it's um, it, it's just part of it. It's part of the learning curve. So we all need to take sort of a big picture point of view here on this first one. 
and um, you know, hopefully, um, I I saw that uh, Chuck Hanley was going to um, race direct, which is great because Chuck's Chuck's great at that. I I can remember way back; it had to be early nineties when. Uh, Chuck was, he had just started, I don't think, uh, gosh, I don't even know what year it would have been. Um, I'm going to say it had to be early 90s. Anyway, um, I was up in the tower several times at ISMA shows with Chuck. And uh, I announced for ISMA for a while, but even when I wasn't just, you know, being there with him in the tower and listen to how, listening to how he and then flagger Jerry Kritzman communicated and and how things were done I learned from Chuck um, and so in the times since then when I've had to serve as race director somewhere I'm always you know that the way that Chuck went about that and I, I don't get to obviously hear him or, or know kind of what he's doing with Oswego anymore but um because I'm I'm not there, but uh, back in those days, I really appreciated how he, um, you know, how he he handled things, and even you know, making calls and and doing just different decisions that had to get made over the course of a race. Because there's really not there's there you you can start with somewhat of a playbook, right? But it isn't like football, you know. <laughs> You know, you don't start out with the first 15 plays. I mean, you put the headset on and you throw the green and something happens. You know, you can know that we're going to do X amount of caution laps before we fuel or whatever. But there's so much of, of what a race director does that is it's it's improv. It's basically all calling audibles and it's based on what happens once the first green flag comes out. And so, um, yeah, so I know that with Chuck, Davey is going to get, um, you know, an absolute veteran and somebody who's had, you know, decades uh, of experience, a couple of decades, um, three decades, whatever. <laughs> I guess I I still struggle with that. I still, uh, I guess I don't want to be as old as I am. Um but, um, you know, had a lot of years of experience in various situations. And I think Chuck's even worked for Davey Sr.'s uh, series a bit. Um, so, again, he knows he knows the divisions. He knows how to how to do all that. So that's that's going to be a great start for for Davey uh, as far as race day. So hopefully it all goes well. But um, again, let's all just just. Remember that this is, like I said, Davy. Davy dove into the deep end of the pool here, and um, so let's let's be patient if there are mistakes or things that don't, you know, end up happening the way they should, and you know, let's let him learn and and build his chops a little bit with this because um, this event, the blueprint for this, could be something really big for you know years to come so all good um okay so i promised in the opening segment that i would talk about uh what's coming up next week mark pasquale will be our guest 
on our next Inside Groove. Mark is one of the uh, directors of the Speed Tour, which is uh, the group on the West Coast that handles the Super Modifieds. And I can't wait to sit and talk with Mark about, you know, that whole sort of revival that's happening out there. And it seems like there's big time interest again. And so excited to dive into that and continue our coverage of the upcoming showdown. But um, I also mentioned that I'd had another interview that I did that, that created sort of a, um, has, has spawned a necessary creation of a, a little bit of a bonus mini-series um, that will be debuting at some point here in the next uh, several weeks. Um, so here's what happened. So I, and I love this. This is why I love, this is the part of what I do with media stuff that I just, it just really gets my, my juices flowing for, for what I do because, um, again, it's an example of um, how a lot of this is, you know, improvisation. And, and you can plan, you can, you know, create a set of uh, topics, questions, re- do all the research you want. Sometimes an interview just goes in a whole other direction. And you have to be wise enough as the person doing the interview to know when to allow that to happen and when to sort of pull it back. Well, um, I had a first the other day. Um, I had set up an interview with Justin Porter. Justin is from Ohio, and Justin, many of you know him from Facebook. Justin is, thank God, trying to keep up with wind stats and all kinds of other things, and even in the 350s, he's trying to keep all that going. But, um, And he, the reason I had set it up is I wanted to include him. I thought it would be fun to include him in the whole sort of West Coast theme that we're having in these next couple shows um, because he, he does follow that pretty closely. And so um, what happened, though, when we started talking was something that I, I mean, it's, it's funny to tell, uh, but people are, aren't going to believe it probably. I've got over four hours of what you would call B-roll on the video side of things. Uh, it's just audio on the audio side of things. But I've got over four hours of conversation with Justin on, uh, that, that I've recorded. The, the conversation was so fascinating because what I didn't realize about Justin was sort of how, I don't know if I want to use the word gearhead, but he's very, Justin is very excited about sort of the little mechanical differences between cars and really looks at some of those things when he's in the pits and, and paying attention to what's going on. Um, and he, it started as as us talking top wing, tail wing, and and whatever. And and um, he he started to talk about how he, you know, there are more differences between even the tail wing cars than we realize. You just have to look close. And you know, he he pointed out some things, some information, and and some of the things some of the teams were doing that that's very different. Um, 
from what other teams are doing, even with those cars. Uh, I think we might have been talking about maybe the idea that, you know, some of the rules going to change for next year or whatever. Um, and and then it just went off in a number of other different directions. And it got to a point, and this was the first time that I can say that this has ever happened to me um, in, in this show, at least. It got to the point where... Um, it it sort of went from me, here's an interview for Inside Groove. It, we just got so kind of wrapped up in the conversation that it became what I try to sort of tell everybody who's coming on as a guest that I want it to feel like. It literally became it. It became two people who are really passionate about super modified racing just, you know, having conversation about it. And I sort of got lost inside of all of the, the topics and the things that, that Justin was, and I learned, I really learned a lot from him and, and it, it kind of widened my reality or my point of view on some things, which is great. I love it when that happens. I love to learn. Um, and so, however, I can't, I can't put a four-hour piece of audio out there. Nobody is going to listen to and, and some of it, it. It 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 needs editing just because you know it 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 kind of bounces all over the place, and I've got to be able to make it flow so y'all don't end up confused um, about some of it. But um, you know that it's not really that there was any content that shouldn't be shared or whatever, but. Um, it's one of those situations where, um, and maybe again, like I said, I think it was the first time that this has happened to me, at least with this show, that we'll be able to sort of be able to pick the best of and what, you know, what's most, um, fascinating, appealing, whatever. And here's the funny part. We never got to the West coast part. We, <laughs> we never got that far. Um, Justin is a very, very, uh, fascinating guy. He's very, uh, very smart, very well studied when it comes to supers. He's been around a long time, um, you know, 30 years, whatever, 35 years. Um, and, and the, the big picture is that his super modified experience because he, entered into supermodifieds in Ohio versus the experience that say I had have had from from seeing it from the Oswego point of view are very different and there are things that a lot of us consider to be you know important that he necessarily doesn't he's seen you know barely any supers at a racetrack in the past. Like he's, he lived that ages ago in Ohio. The supers have ebbed and flowed, right? They've been through the arc of the super modified story in the Midwest is very different from what it, it, it was at Oswego. So, you know, it was, um, it was crazy. It was just a fascinating conversation. And it was almost like at some point it just got it. We, 
we just had to end it. You know, you could have you could have talked through the night, and it was. I realized very late into it. You know, you kind of snap back into reality and go, "Holy moly!" Like I, we're recording all this. <laughs> this is crazy. Um, so that what I what I what I'm gonna do with that is, um, and and again, as soon as I can can start budgeting some time. Um, you know, I'll, I'll sort of cut it into pieces, so to speak, and we'll just make an ongoing series of, you know, of the, from this interview, um, and try to sort of shape it so that I can present it in a way that, you know, what you're going to be listening to and, and hearing about in each episode. So we'll, we'll do that as sort of its own thing. And I, and that, that was great for me because I've never, I've never approached something that way on purpose. Um, I never do an interview with the idea that all of the interview is not going to get presented. Sometimes technical problems happen or, you know, you have different situations or you just, you know, not all of it is great or you're, you're going to cut things that shouldn't be aired or whatever. Fortunately, I haven't had too much of that. But, you know, for the most part, when I do an interview, it's the with the idea that everything in the interview is going to be put out there. And uh, so this one, it was supposed to be, and it was supposed to be about something. And it ended up being about a lot of other things except that. <laughs> so I really want to thank Justin Porter because I, I can only hope and pray that he enjoyed it and was as entertained and, and, you know, um, by it as, as I was, because, I, you know, like I said, it was a, it was a really, really interesting conversation. So I can't wait to start to get some of it out there. It's coming. Um, you know, hopefully we'll get some time in the next, uh, you know, between now and, and, you know, Christmas or whatever to start getting some of it out there. But those, that series will, will be kind of an ongoing work in progress until we get, you know, fig, until I figure it all out and, um, we'll try to at least get a couple of pieces out between now and the end of the year to go with whatever other shows we're doing. So um, that was really entertaining and uh, just wanted you to know that that was coming, but that's, that's the joy in, in, in this sort of thing is when you can, you, you, and something like that happens organically. It would, that was, I can assure you, neither of us uh, thought we were, <laughs> but uh Justin was great and, you know, just truly a, a gentleman and, and somebody that I, I'm glad to know. And, and hopefully we can make more of a part of the show as, as it goes down the road. Um, and now that we kind of both know that we can easily get off on all those tangents, you know, it's just up to me going forward to um, keep it taut. And, you know, that's again, that's the fun part. So um, that's coming. And that's it. That's we'll stop there. Um, hope that you enjoyed this show. Looking forward to talking with Mark Pasquale on the next show because, again, we want to keep the West Coast thing going. We'll try to get uh, as many of the voices back as we can after that showdown's over with. Um, several of you asked online, where is it going to be streamed? Speed Sport 1. Um, so everybody will be able to have access to it. I don't know what it'll, it'll cost, but everybody will have access to it. 
So, uh, yeah, definitely excited about uh, what they're doing out there in Vegas. Hope you all enjoyed the show. Thank you to all of our sponsors. Um, can't thank LaGroff's Pub, Sean Cathcart, Skip's Fish Fry again. Fish Fry Friday at LaGroff's. So if you're in Oswego, go support. Go get yourself. If you like fish, that's going to be the best fish fry in, on Fridays in town right there. Go get you some fish and uh, go there on Sundays for the games or whatever. Enjoy yourself at LaGroff's. Sean and his staff put real care into everything they do, as does Rich Worth and his team uh, with JNS Paving. They are the Beethovens of Blacktop. So if you need something paved, uh, and if you, boy, if you need something paved in Oswego, you're probably too late this year. I think it's already snowed some up there. So um, it may be too late, but um, let Rich know. He'll get you on the calendar for next year. Um, and, of course, Jeff West and the folks from IPC Indy once again. Um, Jeff's the quality of the labor that those folks do on anything they build machine put together is just off the charts um and that's kind of a common theme for all of our advertisers because wayne henslick and wiggity wayne sauces fit that exact same mold um just incredible um the amount of time and care that Wayne and his team are putting into the development of all of the different flavors. So um, please support all of those sponsors. Thank them all for supporting this show and super modified racing, racing in general, for that matter. Um, appreciate them all very, very much. Appreciate all of you who listen, please share and steeringwheelnation.com for more great content. And yes, it's a social app. Feel free inside the article to comment, share, like. Um, let's get conversation going. That's what we built it for. Have a great week, everybody. Until the next Inside Groove Super Modified podcast, I'm Tom Baker. Thanks for listening. So long. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliates, or marketing partners. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.